Welcome to the Link Ventures Investor Spotlight. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Tim Lazat. I'm the CEO and Managing Director of Green Life Capital. Uh, we're a private money debt investor. We have a syndicate of family offices, hedge funds, and ultra high net worth individuals. And since 2019, uh, we funded over 200 million in commercial real estate, business working, and growth capital. Uh, we do have access to over $500 million and even more from our network once we've invested that. This platform, Link Ventures, is a global platform which showcases emerging growth companies to active investors. Through a combination of our website, events, and customized service, we provide opportunities and tailored matchmaking between private companies and investors. Private companies are able to showcase their company to potential investors or CEOs that are seeking acquisition targets. And investors are able to review and connect with deal flow that has been vetted through our vetting process. Each and every month, we receive over 100 requests for funding and investment opportunities through our deal flow channels. And today, we have an exciting lineup of CEOs and industry leaders who are seeking capital presenting to our audience of investors. Not every company is uh, selected to present at our events. Each of these companies has, has gone through our screening process and represents some of the best opportunities in various stages of growth. The companies presenting here today are in various industries, including advertising and ad tech, health and wellness, real estate, biotechnology, consumer goods and products that are improving the human condition, and legalized cannabis. I'm joining you from Las Vegas, Nevada, and we have an audience of members joining us from around the globe in various time zones. So whether it's sunny or dark, uh, we want to thank you for taking time out of your day and joining us here today. I'm going to walk you through uh, some of the housekeeping and our schedule here today, and all the times that I mentioned are in Pacific Standard Time. Today's schedule is also posted on the Link Ventures website at www.linkedventures.net. And this webinar will go till approximately 1.45 p.m. today. Uh, and from 2 to 3 uh, p.m. today, we'll have a separate networking meeting that will follow. Uh, the networking meeting link will be in the chat. It is also available on the website under the Investor Spotlight uh, tab. So please don't click on that networking meeting because you're going to leave this webinar uh, and you'll be in a separate networking meeting. From 11.10 a.m. or approximately a couple of just minutes, from 11.10 to 11.20, you're going to meet our investor judges for today's event. From 11.20 to 11, uh, to 1.25, you're going to hear from five showcase companies. And from 1.25 to 1.35, you're, our judges and audience is going to be voting on the best presentation today. Uh, the investor judges are looking for companies that they would consider making an investment in. As an attendee, you can also vote the same way uh, in, or how you felt. Uh, who you felt delivered the best pitch today. From 135 to 145, we'll be having our closing remarks and an audience survey where you can give us some feedback on how we're doing. After each presenter has finished their presentation, the investor judges will be asking drill down questions and there'll be an opportunity for the audience to ask questions as well. If you want to submit a question to some of the companies, uh, you can use the Q&A at the bottom of your Zoom app uh, to type in your question. Uh, at, as time permits, I'll read the question and the presenter will answer audibly. Questions are only going to be considered um, after the presentation has been completed by the presenter and the chat has been enabled. Please don't spam the chat or put inappropriate content. We're all, we're all uh, adults here. We're all professionals, so I don't expect to have to 
uh, have any uh, more discussions on that. Contact information, offering information and videos from our presentation will be posted on the Link Ventures website next week. And we encourage you to visit the website often for all the latest updates on future events. You know, 2020 was quite an interesting year. We, uh, we already envisioned that webinars were going to be a part of what we're doing long before we learned that about the pandemic. Webinars are now becoming something that's new normal. Investors are making investment decisions and they meet with leaders and potential investment opportunities over platforms such as Zoom. Uh, investing in early stage and emerging growth companies can be quite lucrative. Just ask Sequoia Capital and Ashton Kutcher, uh, who were early investors in Airbnb, uh, which recently just had an IPO. In fact, we learned from uh, uh, Ashton Kutcher uh, that he's not just known as an actor. He's a well-known Silicon Valley investor now who's made over 150 investments, including $2.5 million in a, into Airbnb from his venture fund. One of the things that we can learn from Ashton Kutcher is he picks as how he picks his investments. He says that he has three rules to go by. Uh, the first is that entrepreneurs must immediately, uh, intimately understand both their product and the industry. The second, they must have a personality that will allow them to withstand failure and setbacks. And the third, they must get along well with him. So what are your three criteria that you're going to be looking for today? What will you look for as the companies that present here today? Our investor judges are gonna be doing the same. So our first investor judge is Terry Buffalo. Terry is a seasoned executive in the financial services sector that's transitioned into the cannabis sector. Uh, Mr. Buffalo serves as the chief executive officer of American Cannabis Company based in Denver, Colorado. His ability to convey complex information in concise and straightforward manner, combined with his expertise in investment, regulatory compliance, and audit, uh, has positioned him to be an effective leader as his company continues to expand. Terry, would you please introduce yourself and tell us more about you? Yes, hi, Tim. Thanks so much. Yes, uh, my name is uh, Terry Buffalo. I'm the CEO of American Cannabis Company. Uh, we are a C2 uh, cell solution provider in the regulated industry. Been doing this for over eight years. We are currently looking for acquisition opportunities or partnerships so we can expand our brand. And primarily looking for the sector of the plant protection. That's the area that we're looking for. And thank you again. I'm, I'm glad to be here today. I look forward to seeing the presentations that we have uh, before us today. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for joining us and taking time out. Uh, our next investor judge is Josh Kin Kincaid. Josh was a securities risk analyst managing a $650 million fund in the investment banking industry uh, with proven success in finance, compliance, and operations within, a, within highly regulated industries. Josh has been connecting individuals and businesses uh, within all facets of the supply chain uh, since his internship at the World Trade Center. Uh, he keeps a finger on the pulse of the industry utilizing technology and data uh, from various uh, platforms, and he is analyzing their economic market reactions for the last six years. He's also on the board of advisors, uh, as well as a capital market analyst and director of finance uh, and, and contract CFO for companies throughout North America. And he intends to leverage his resources and expertise into the cannabis industry. Uh, Josh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? 
Thanks, Tim. Yeah, I left my job at uh, Capital One about seven or eight years ago to kind of jump into the cannabis space and start the Seattle Super Chronic Cafe, but ended up uh, through some series of pivots at, at the Super Chronics, which is a boutique advisory firm. We kind of focus on cannabis finance, data analytics, risk management, and compliance, and then have an emphasis on strategic partnerships, mergers and acquisitions, and international expansion. Excellent. Thank you for joining us, Josh. Uh, hopefully you find some other interesting uh, industries here as well today. Um, our next uh, investor judge is David Logan. David is a serial entrepreneur uh, and he's passionate about helping entrepreneurs succeed. So he currently manages two companies that empower entrepreneurs. Uh, Emergence.com, which is a broker dealer that helps startups raise capital uh, while providing family offices, high net worth individuals, access uh, to great investment opportunities. Emergence has a, a team of 14 seasoned team members with extensive networks to uh, strategic investors. Uh, his second company, uh, sumatosoft.com, is a software development company that's helping companies build amazing software. Um, they have a team of 86 talented developers and they have clients such as Toyota and Disney and, and many other small businesses as well. David, welcome. Thank you. Would you introduce yourself as well? Thank you to LinkedIn Ventures and thank you, Tim, for organizing this event. I'm really excited to be here and thank you for having me. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a serial entrepreneur and I'm passionate about helping entrepreneurs succeed. So um, the, the two firms that we work with and uh, manage, um, we, we're, we're looking to be able to look, look forward to learning more about these exciting companies and look forward to um, to all the pitches today so that we can see which ways that we can help raise capital. Thank you. Great, thank you, David. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so we're a little bit early. Um, we're just four minutes early, but uh, we do have a uh, our next presenter, which is Lawrence Taylor. He's the CEO of Christina. Christina Development Company is a vertically integrated real estate sponsor uh, and uh, manage uh, and manager that was founded in 1977 and headquartered in Malibu, California. For more than 40 years, uh, they have sponsored direct real estate investment in the West Side region of Los Angeles, including Beverly Hills, Brentwood, Century City, Malibu, Santa Monica, Westwood, West Hollywood, and Venice in the Silicon Beach area. Uh, they're executing a proprietary and proven strategy, which is focused on tax advantage, wealth preservation, and long-term capital appreciation. Hopefully, I didn't steal too much of your thunder. Lawrence Taylor, uh, it, the mic is yours, and the presentation is all yours. Tim, thank you so much for uh, a wonderful introduction. And no, you didn't say too much or take anything away from what I have to say. Uh, real estate as an investment class, of course, has been around you know, for the the ages and I don't believe there's anything that we do that's any different than has been done over the last several hundred years since America became America. Uh, essentially, we're uh, old-fashioned real estate investors who uh, learned early on and took advantage of the reality that if you buy great real estate in a great location, operated over an extended period of time, you will become extremely wealthy. And so our, our investors have become wealthy, our firm has grown substantially, uh, and we've stayed 
close to our knitting, the greatest fortunes in real estate are made by strategic, localized, geographically uh, defined investing. Uh, so, I mean, more money is made owning four blocks of Madison Avenue in New York City than can be made investing in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. So uh, these concepts are concepts that because of the change in law in 2012, it ushered in in 2012 because of the Jobs Act and codified by the SEC in 2013, for the first time since 1934, we can take what we've been doing, which is offering direct real estate investments to accredited investors here in the Los Angeles and in California, we can, we can market the opportunity nationally. And that's what we've been doing consecutively for the last four and a half, five years. And, and uh, we're on our fourth uh, private equity real estate company. We've literally done nothing to uh, 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 market or advertise or expand other than uh, utilizing opportunities like this and posting things on our website. And uh, we've raised uh, uh, a lot of awareness of the fact that people have an opportunity to live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and own a building in Beverly Hills, California. So the thing about real estate that we know from our experience is that real estate is something that people yearn to own because it's real, no pun intended, and it's tangible. And in times of distress, uh, people really are looking to hold on to tangible things like gold, for example. But real estate is something that belongs in everybody's portfolio. But this country since 1934 and the uh, Implementation of Securities and Exchange Act, uh, it has been the single most difficult thing for investors to access. Uh, there's just no efficient marketplace available, no, no efficient marketplace and no efficient way for people to own real estate because it's a very management intensive business. And um, every, every real estate opportunity requires a sponsor, but in a localized manner, in every city in the United States, there's firms like Christina that form uh, entities by real estate and, and uh, every real estate investment is a composition of equity, debt, and property. And within every single state of the union until 2013, every state had their own limitations on how uh, capital could be uh, attracted and how people could invest, but very, very limited. And so uh, we're very excited because our firm has grown substantially in the last four years as we've been able to form these private equity companies and provide a methodology and a system where people can invest. So we have investors from all 50 states uh, and we, structure our real estate transactions the same way that we have for 43 years. And basically uh, investors investing in our private equity real estate companies are investing directly into the real estate. The money goes from the investor to the real estate. There are no private agent, private placement fees. There are no broker dealer fees. There are no intermediary fees. And, and because of our long-term uh, presence in what I think is the greatest real estate in the world and the best climate in the United States and the best tax advantages we've seen since 1981. Um, and we're just very excited to be able to share the opportunity for people 
in all 50 states to be able to participate in this real estate. So, you know, with that in mind, I'd like to take you through a few things uh, that make Christina unique and special. Uh, so, uh, number one is uh, location, location, location. There are very few places in the United States that, that really offer the same attributes that uh, uh, Westside Region of Los Angeles does, uh, which isn't to say that there isn't great real estate in other cities. We just don't know other cities as well as we know Los Angeles. But what makes Los Angeles special besides its climate? Well, it's the economy and its location in the world. It's the gateway to the east. It's considered the Silicon Valley of the world, uh, Silicon Valley South, I should say, but as far as Asia is concerned in China, Shenzhen uh, in Guangdong is the heart of the technology business in China, which is the second largest and only other superpower in the world. And the port of entry for everything coming in from China is Los Angeles, the port of Los Angeles, port of Long Beach. So you have this tremendous relationship between Shenzhen and China, which has only grown exponentially in the last 20 years and particularly in the last 10 years. And so what you have is Shenzhen is considered Los Angeles sister city and, and, the, uh, and vice versa. So there's direct uh, air, air travel between these two cities. So, you know, when you take into account technology uh, as it's a growing sector, in Los Angeles, entertainment, tourism, climate, uh, and, and all these other factors combined, there isn't a single better location in the United States. Now, that's an arguable point. A lot of people can argue that, you know, Miami is better because it doesn't have state income tax or Austin is cool. But none of these areas offer what Los Angeles offers, and none of them offer what the West Side region of Los Angeles offers. So the seven submarkets of West Los Angeles are larger than the island of Manhattan. And the real estate opportunities here are endless because there is no longer any developable land. So what could be developed has been, has been developed. So we have this situation where there's constantly increasing demand and limited supply. So it's no secret that for more than 40 years, we've never had a single dollar in loss and our returns have been double digit returns and generally on average for the last 27 years, about 20%, without taking into account that the US government primes all real estate investment by giving us generous uh, tax depreciation, amortization, special write-off rules that contribute to allowing us within one portfolio to have multiple properties. And within that portfolio, the loss is generated by one property offset the income and gain from another property. So most of the gains and most of the profits that our, uh, our investors have uh, obtained over time have been on a either tax preferred or tax deferred uh, basis. And so if you take that into account, along with all the other things, um, you know, it's 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 a, it's it's a pretty dynamic, and so I personally am very thrilled to be able to uh, be part of the opportunity to uh, to grow this uh, to grow the I should say to grow the company's ability to reach investors in 50 states. So on the slide that I just put up, these are just examples of 
properties that are in our current Christina Real Estate Investors Four private equity company, which uh, will have raised uh, the awareness across the country of the opportunities and which was capitalized at 50 million. It has purchased uh, up in the upper left-hand corner of this property on Larrabee Street, happens to be uh, just one property north of the Sunset Strip uh, across the street from where a brand new hotel is about to be developed, uh, which will be a Mandarin Oriental. Uh, and is next door to the world headquarters of IAC, which is uh, Barry Diller's company, with views of the city of Los Angeles. This is a project that uh, is fully entitled, will be developed next year. Next to that is uh, 6615 Pacific Avenue. There's a property that was built about uh, 58 years ago before the Coastal Commission limited construction of this type. It's the only multi-unit apartment project built directly on the sand in the city of Los Angeles. It's priceless and we bought it from the original developer who was 96 years old and wanted to distribute uh, his money to uh, his uh, beneficiaries while he was still alive. But again, every one of these acquisitions are unique and they're a discount to market value. We don't buy properties at market and hope that they're gonna become more valuable. We buy them at below market, knowing that when we bought them, they're already worth more than what we paid for them. So for example, the Pacific Avenue property on Playa del Rey Beach, which is in the heart of Silicon Valley is irreplaceable. We may convert this to a condominium project at some point. At the very least, the rents are about 75 to 85% below market. And under current city regulations, every time a tenant moves, we can move the rents to market. So we intend to substantially improve this, but this property that we paid about 10.5 or $10.9 million for, it's probably worth 16 million today. We've only owned it uh, since October, um, but we just stole it. You go in the lower left-hand corner, there's these four properties on a street called Hayworth. I bought these four properties out of a portfolio due to the death of the 94-year-old patriarch who built the building starting in 1956. They are located one block from CBS Television City, which is about to be redeveloped into a major, major, major uh, city within a city. Uh, it's been sold for about $900 million and it's got a 10-year development plan. It's across the street or walking distance to the world-famous Farmer's Market Grove Shopping Center. And it's also one block off of the West Third Street Shopping District, which stretches from the Farmer's Market and uh, uh, the Grove Shopping Center all the way to Cedar sinai Medical Center uh, to the west. It's a very, very popular uh, growing street that we've been investing on this street and in this area for more than 40 years. We know it like the back of our hand. So what's exciting about these four apartment buildings? Everything. Number one, the owner had no debt on these properties for more than 35 or 40 years had no incentive to raise rents, had no incentive to improve the property. So we bought them at basically land value, but we have income and we have massive depreciation write-offs here in, in 2020. So we're gonna, we're gonna have tremendous losses, K-1 losses, but we have positive cash flow uh, on an existing income and the properties are probably worth four to seven million more than we paid for them. Then on the lower right hand, uh, corner of the screen, you'll see 
the Orlando Hotel, which uh, we, WIP Partners, developed in 1982, opened for business in 1984. It's the single largest hotel in the Third Street, Third Street Shopping District, 100 rooms. And uh, we are currently buying directly across the street this corner that we coveted for years, uh, but we were unable to get until the patriarch, the matriarch of that family died at age 100. We're buying that from the trust. It was appraised at 11.4 million. We're under contract to buy it at 8.8 million. And we got the trust to carry back 4.4 million at 3% interest only for five years. And we're gonna substantially renovate the property, re reposition it for retail. To be honest with you, it's just been zoned as a TO, TOC tier two uh, high density property, which will allow it to be as tall as seven stories and provide 47 residences with retail below. So we have two options. We could simply operate it as retail, uh, do a cosmetic upgrade to it, or tear it down and, and build a new building. So we'll do both. We'll, we'll renovate it, we'll remarket it, relet it, and we'll also entitle it for something more to create value. So this is just gives you an idea of the way we look at real estate, the way we acquire real estate. And really it's just the best of the best in terms of location. So I go on to the next slide if I can. Oh my God, that's just a picture of me. You don't want to show that. Uh, anyway, 43 years of 43 Larry, years. You have 10 minutes left for the audience for Q and A. Okay. But anyway, 43 years in business, I can't believe how old I am, but it's true. I started when I was 18. And uh, collectively, you know, our team here has been together for a long time. So we do have probably more than 100 years of experience, but not broadly. We have never left this market. This is where we live and breathe. And the worst that we've ever done on an investment is make a profit. The best that we've ever done is make nine times the original investment. But held over a period of time, our, our strategy is to uh, return capital as soon as we can to our investors, but always on a tax deferred basis. But once you have your own money back and you still own the real estate, it's like owning an oil well that keeps pumping for years with tax benefits. And on that, I'll open it up to Q&A. Thanks, Larry. Very, very good presentation. Didn't realize you were uh, just about done there. Uh, so we, we do have some questions, but let's get to the judges first and uh, let's open up some questions to our judges. We do have some questions coming in from the audience already, but I want to open it up to our investor judges to ask some questions first. And so do we have uh, some questions from our investor judges? I'd be happy to begin. Thank you so much, Lawrence, for overviewing the opportunity. Um, how has the pandemic affected your strategy with the potential demand decrease of commercial real estate in upcoming years when leases expire? I have, I mean, aside for the negative human effect, illness and death, which is unfortunate uh, and which we're all trying to avoid, I'm just giddy as, as I could ever be. I'm like a child at Christmas time because. Uh, you know, with uh, with uh, you know, real estate in decline and, and properties in trouble, hopefully, that just creates more opportunities. And we're seeing a lot of opportunities now in the in the hotel space. 
and in the retail space, which we've been seeing for years. So we're heavily focused on those, those areas. But as far as how it's affected our portfolio, we'd lie if we told you that it doesn't because we have some tenants that have not been able to pay due to COVID. And we have uh, more vacancy than we've ever had because with offices closed, people don't have a need to live too close to work. But you know, again, we have a multiple multi-exit strategy. So on some of the apartment projects that we were delaying uh, demolishing and replacing with safe housing. We're just moving forward with those redevelopment opportunities now. So for us, it's a benefit, it's a detriment for society, but it's a benefit for us on the West side. Thank you. Excellent. Do we have any other questions from our investor judges? Uh, yes, hi. Uh, well, it's a great presentation and uh, congratulations on your long-term success in the real estate. On each one of your deals, do you look to raise separate entities or is Christina one basically holding company uh, that owns all of the uh, portfolio, all of the real estate? It's a great question. And uh, when I was talking about the Jobs Act and, and uh, the ability to reach uh, uh, accredited investors in 50 states, we just simply changed our model. For 23 years, we were single asset syndicators. For 16 years, we had Wall Street investment banks as a partner. And since 2013, we formed, or 2014, I should say, we formed one entity. We fund it with a certain amount of capital. Christina Real Estate Investors for us, 50 million. And that entity buys as much real estate as it can with its equity. And every asset within there is a separate LLC, which the parent is the company. And investors simply commit their capital in advance for the minimum of a $250,000 commitment with 25% invested up front and then the rest called for as needed. So it's, a, it's basically, it takes that component from the fund world and it takes the syndication structure and it puts the two together, which is why it's a private equity company and not a fund. Yeah, thank you. That, that was my other question. Was another one, so thanks for answering that. Thank you. Do we have a question from any other judges with the investor questions? I did. I had a quick question about the sale leaseback options. We're seeing IIPR, which I think would be somewhat of a competitor, uh, at least in the cannabis space. Do you have any um, anticipation, uh, Lawrence, of going into the cannabis space and going and doing sale leaseback options? Uh, not at this time. We're still waiting to see what the federal regulatory process looks like. Once once it's cleared at the federal level, I think uh, we have a more comfort zone, but we don't want to go beyond what the, what, what the federal law is at the moment. In fact, I would, I would mention that a lot of our loans on our properties are through federally insured institutions that have an absolute bar to leasing to any business that's in, a, in the cannabis business. Excellent. Uh, we do have some questions if we don't have any other questions from the investor judges we do have some questions we want to get to from the audience uh first question is so what uh what makes christina better than a traditional real estate fund or REIT real estate investment trust well number one it's not a fund a fund has a defined life usually somewhere between four and ten years and at which point in time, the fund simply buys real estate, sells real estate, manages and operates real estate, and then comes the defined time period where it has to sell its assets. 
uh, it exists for a reason, and there's 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 you know there's plenty of funds out there. But from a real estate perspective, if you're buying the greatest real estate in the world, number one is why would you ever want to sell it? Number two is why would you just pick a date arbitrarily to say the fund ends? What if the fund fund ends and you're in the middle of a recession? The only thing good about that is that we get to buy when they have to sell. So it, funds make absolutely no sense for long-term real estate investment. So we're, and as far as REITs are concerned, it was an original idea created by Congress in the late 50s and early 60s to give small investors access to real estate. It failed then because it, it was, was poorly, poorly conceived. And today, they're nothing other than large companies that happen to own real estate, but you don't really own any real estate. You just own a share that you can sell on the open marketplace with a click of the mouse on your computer or a click on your telephone. But you're not owning any real estate. You're not getting any tax benefits. You're not getting any ownership directly in real estate. You just happen to own stock in a company that generates its revenue from real estate. That's not really a real estate investment. Excellent answer, uh, Lawrence. Another question we have is, what do you anticipate will be the uh, next acquisition uh, for the company? Oh, well, that's very interesting. In our pipeline right now, we happen to have, uh, we happen to have a hotel property that's located on one of the most famous streets in the world that we're under contract to buy. It's a world famous street. We're buying it from the original, not the original owner, but a long-term owner uh, that happens to own other hotels. But this particular hotel um, is dead center in the most exclusive, highest rent, most famous retail street in the world. That's pretty much what we're concentrating on right now. Excellent. I imagine you can't tell us that street right now. Uh, it's probably under NDA right now, uh, Lawrence. Uh, we appreciate the appreciate the answer and the, and the insight. It, you're definitely well connected in in that uh, in, in your region. You're definitely well connected, and I'm sure that these are deals you've been looking at for years and years. And and no one's going to beat you to a deal that you've looked at. I I, I truly believe that. Uh, next question that, that comes from our audience is: How many deals do you look at before you choose to buy a property? I would say that right now we're seeing about 10 a week uh, that out of out of the 40 or 50 that might come through the firm. I think we're seriously look at 10. Uh, we haven't really locked on anything that really is uh, very attractive to us in the last month or so. Our last acquisition was in October, the Pacific uh, uh, property on uh, Playa del Rey Beach. But um, we see a lot and we buy very few. So I would say our ratio of deals that we do diligence on and the ones that we close is probably about 3%. So for every 100 properties that we actually are interested in, we'll probably acquire three. That's, that's quite a bit of deal flow. Uh, just as a reminder too, if you have a question, you can type it in the bottom in the Q&A. Button. We are seeing them come into the chat, but there is a Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom app. I do see one that, that came into the chat uh, that's an interesting question uh, for Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence, how do you pay the investors? Is, is it on a per, uh, 
you know, I just missed that. Is it on a per project basis or how, how actually do investors uh, get paid from? Okay, so as the, as the properties are performing, properties perform in a variety of different ways. Uh, operating cash, just because of uh, revenue, less expenses, less debt service yields cash. Uh, properties present opportunities for financing and refinancing, which gives us an opportunity to take advantage of better debt terms and increasing debt that we distribute on a tax-free basis to our investors. And also from dispositions, if and when we do have dispositions. So those are the three main sources, operational cash, uh, financing, and disposition. Disposition is our least attractive because we really don't like to pay taxes and it, it, you know, there's a capital gain involved. But because we own multiple properties in one portfolio, we can exit a property and distribute the money tax-free to our investors with the built up of... Uh, losses that we have from the other properties. So this year we will have sold two properties, uh, one that we bought for about 7 million and sold for 16 million after having financed it twice and distributed about 70% of the capital. And another property that we purchased for about 13 million, we sold for 19 million. We're not gonna close it until next year but we distribute, we financed that one twice and distributed most of the money on a tax-free basis to the investors. So we pushed it into next year, just, just in case we don't have enough losses, we know we'll have losses next year. Thank you, Lawrence, for that. Um, do our investor judges have any other questions uh, to help you uh, today? Do you, our investor judges, do we have any other questions from our investor judges? I do not. Yeah. Seems like we're good there. Okay, uh, David, did you have a question, David? Yes. I was just going to ask: Are any of the are any of the locations in your portfolio in an opportunity zone? Not a lot of not a lot of opportunity zones in the prime markets that we're in. That's None. Funny. No. And also, too, is that uh, we don't think the opportunity zone investment makes a lot of sense without further government support in the form of tax credits and, and bond financing. So we think it's an interesting concept under the Trump administration, but uh, it's gonna take another few years before it becomes attractive enough to uh, wanna use it as a 1031 option. It's kind of a last resort option the way we see it. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Lawrence Taylor, CEO of Christina Development. Thank you for your presentation today. Excellent job and thank you for answering the questions. Uh, we just as a reminder too, you'll be able to join the networking after this. Uh, we'll have a separate meeting. The link will go into the chat. There'll be a separate networking meeting. Some of the Christina team will be there as well, so you can go ahead and meet them and ask additional questions if you had. We weren't able to get to all of your questions. So our next speaker, our next presenter is uh, Davina Kanoe. She's the CEO of Element Apothic. Element Apothic is a new disruptive CBD brand that's redefining the body care and wellness industry. Element Apothic is a trustworthy brand that's conscious to consumers, uh, what consumers are demanding. So they've crafted clean, safe, and effective products with a medical oversight and are committed to complete transparency. They look to disrupt and change for the better, an industry that has abandoned responsibilities to their consumers well-being and health. And I hope I didn't steal too much of your thunder, Davina. 
So it, it, it is all yours. Great, thank you. Yeah, I was thinking that was some of my lines. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, Tim, for putting together this event. And I really am honored to be here, especially um, in the presence of, of such incredible companies and investor judges and, and uh, audience that's here. So as Tim said, I'm, I'm Davina Kawanohi. Everyone always gets the AO wrong because in Hawaiian, AO is ao instead. So I'm Davina Kawanohi and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Element Apothic. I'm going to share my screen now um, and share the pitch presentation. All right, so um, Element Apothic is a new CBD focused body care and wellness brand, just like Tim was saying. And, we're really focused on bringing transparency and trust to, to this market, which has been plagued by suspicion and a lack of integrity. We seek to elevate this growing $16 billion industry by bringing our luxurious line of clean, safe, and effective products to the conscious consumer. An interesting thing about Element Apothic is that we were born in a kitchen, not a lab. We didn't just join the industry to, to try to make money, which is okay but there really is a story behind our brand. My great aunt was diagnosed with several medical conditions and autoimmune diseases about 10 years ago, actually eight of them. And a lot of the medications that she was being prescribed were causing more severe side effects where she was actually partially bedridden. What she did was she took her health into her own hands. She became uh, certified in plant-based remedies and essential oils and started creating products that helped her and countless others. She actually created over 40 custom formulations. Someone would come and say, hey, I have this, and she would make something for them. Um, so we really have an incredible uh, you know, suitcase, basically, of products, although we'll never um, launch that many. But we do have access and understand how they work together and how they have helped people over the years to be truly effective. What we did in forming Element Apothic was took those formulations look to bring a medical advisory team together and now we're bringing those products from the kitchen to the world. One of the problems today in this space is that consumers don't know who or what to trust. As, as many of you know, the, the consumer today reads articles, there's constant FDA warnings about toxic and harmful ingredients, about inaccuracy in, this, in CBD. And so consumers really don't know when they're looking to turn to CBD what products, what brands are there to help them. On top of that, there's so many companies that are white labeling, there's no transparency and a lack of variation. There's little to no, little or no medical oversight. Very few companies have a medical advisory team and are really looking to help elevate the industry. There's a lack of consumer education and brands do not meet the needs of the conscious consumer today. The conscious consumer trend continues to develop, especially with COVID-19. People are really looking for brands and products that they can trust. They, the focus on self-care started obviously way before COVID, but I think it's only continued to increase and really are looking for socially responsible companies. There's also a lot to be done with education in this space. The consumer knowledge of cannabis and CBD and dosing is really lacking. Over 70% of people are unfamiliar with terms like the entourage effect and the endocannabinoid system, which was done a study done by Oasis Intelligence Survey. By focusing on consumer education, we can all help to elevate this industry and bring over those consumers that 
heard about CBD, have heard about cannabis, and are now ready to try it. So what's the solution? Why are, what are customers looking for? They're looking for a company like Element Apothic that has clean and safe products, complete transparency. We partner with a, um, with a blockchain company so that consumers can see every ingredient and eventually we'll have a map that they can see where every single product comes from. And we have very detailed COAs on all of our products. We have medical and scientific oversight and I'll go over later our medical advisory team. We do have innovative and effective formulations. As I mentioned, the, these products were created for a need, every single ingredient and it really has an impact. In addition to that, we're using CBD, CBG, CVN, um, some of these minor cannabinoids and we're continuing to look to explore other ones as there's more research done because they really do make the products that much more effective. Our never ever promise, it's really important to us. It's our promise to our consumer that we will never ever use any harmful or toxic ingredients in any of the products we create. And on top of that, consumers are looking for brands that focus on sustainability. Our Nourish Lotion bottle you can see there is actually made from a sugarcane ethanol, which is really cool. And we're utilizing glass and post-consumer recycled products as much as we can. All of our outer packaging is cardboard. And so we're really, again, trying to meet the needs of the consumer so that they can turn to Element Apothic and feel like they can trust us. We also joined 1% for the planet because we are a company with a purpose. And we want to not just say that, but actually continue to do that through all of our actions and being held accountable to that. And again, consumer education is a big focus. In terms of consumer education, I'm working with Dr. Swathi, who's our chief scientific officer to create a platform. So all of our brand ambassadors, all of our retailers, all of our practitioners will actually be able to go through a program and learn probably way more than they ever wanted to know about, about CBD, but we're building and an army of people that are educated. And not only does that help us, that really does help the entire industry. And an interesting thing is Dr. Swathi actually created a similar program for pharmacists that was actually approved by PharmD for accreditation. And so it's really thorough and really impactful. And we'll break that up into a whole bunch of other types of content to really give that to the consumer. And as you know, many of the people know in this space, the the market opportunity is huge. It, it changes depending on obviously what you look at, but expected to reach approximately $16 billion in the next couple of years. And what's really interesting is there's 240 million new consumers that are expected to come into the market. On top of that, with the products that we have, we have an opportunity to tap into the wellness market. And so it really gives an opportunity for exponential growth. In terms of our financials, we have built an aggressive financial plan, although we think we can do probably even do better um, with their unit economics of three to one. We have really great retail uh, margins and wholesale margins as well, and we'll be able to continue to improve those as we um, you know, have more orders and are able to do more bulk purchases of some of our ingredients. So how does Element Apothic stack up? We really feel like we check all of the boxes in terms of what the consumer is looking for today. And, and yeah, the market is crowded and there are some other brands out there, but there really is a space for a company like Element Apothic to have success. 
and the team. So as an investor, you want to know, so this is great. The consumer likes your products, but how as a company are you going to be successful? Well, we've built an incredible team with over 60 years relevant experience in CPG and e-commerce, marketing, manufacturing, logistics, um, team building myself. I've been in the um, internet technology space and started out building teams for startups, I have my own uh, entrepreneurial experiences of launching brands. And, and so I really know how to bring people together and I understand the requirements to be successful as a company. We also have a great advisory board that has really helped us be able to be where we are at today. I'd like to highlight our medical advisory team, as I mentioned. We have our chief science officer, Dr. Swathi, uh, Dr. Marvin Singh, who's a diplomat of the American Board of Integrative Medicine. He recently became the head of integrative medicine for UC Irvine. And Dr. Raja, who also is an adjunct professor at UC Davis and has a very successful uh, you know, a practice. And why did we build this team? We built this team so that not only for the consumers that they can trust that we're creating products, but we want to be innovative. We want to make sure that the products we continue to create are truly effective, that are really impactful. And so we can build the trustworthy consumer. Practitioners can turn to us when they're looking for a company that is has products that they feel comfortable recommending. And what about our products? As I mentioned, we do have a line of products that are innovative and highly effective. We have two tinctures. The tinctures, depending on what they have, either CBD and CBN, CBD or CBG, our relief balm, which we've incorporated CBG, CBN, and CBD, our nourish lotion, uh, which is CBD, CBG, and our face serum, which also has CBD and CBG. And so we really have looked to incorporate these minor cannabinoids. And as I mentioned, as we look to create new formulations in the future, we are looking at some of the other ones like CBC and THCA, which within themselves have variations in terms of how they can help improve products. And so how do we put our products out there? How do we look at our consumers? Our customer, we really look at from a psychographic perspective and they're the consumer that wants to take better care of themselves. They're the consumer today that's been impacted by COVID or sees how important it is to take care of their bodies. They're the consumer that wants to support purpose-driven brands and sustainable brands and brands that give back. And so the, that's really how we look at our customer in terms of the type of marketing approach that we're taking. And our marketing plan is, is multi-compassed in terms of influencer marketing. We are just starting to reach out to influencers and have had great success. Um, content marketing, especially on the educational side, is going to be really important. Um, social media um, to get out there as much as possible. Obviously, with social media ads, it's a little challenging, but we found ways to be able to work through it. And with digital ads, we're partnering with a digital marketing firm that has had success in this space and understands the intricacies. And so this is how we're going to be successful with a marketing plan with building a great team with a strong business model. So our business model, initially we're launching with D2C, although we do have some wholesale commitments, we will be offering subscriptions and we just launched our brand ambassador program. So these are all ways that we feel that we can be confident in bringing in new consumers into our business. Some of the milestones to date, we started shipping our first orders last week, which 
it's a big feat to launch our brand during COVID. And obviously we had some delays, but we've had really a great response and feedback to the products. We've even had people that have shared with us their box unboxing videos because they really like the extra care that we've taken into the products. We recently signed a partnership with the Premier Medical GPO, which is going to have a big impact on distribution. They have over 200 practitioners to date that are signed with them. We're one of only five companies that they're working with. And so these practitioners already have a pre-vetted selection of companies that they can recommend um, to their consumers. And we're working with them on some special education. It's going to be a really great opportunity. We have retail partnerships already that we've established, as I mentioned, secured influencers and tier one media outlets that are going to start publishing um, editorial pieces on um, our company and our products. We've received pending B Corp certification and are in the thick of the full B Corp certification and 1% for the planet. Um, and I talk about these certifications, cert clean certification, clear for me and leaping bunny, because these are ways that we're going to help build trust with the consumer. Cert clean certification validates that we don't use toxic ingredients. Clear for me, Ulta works with, and that's who they use for their conscious beauty, leaping bunny to say that we. Uh, are cruelty-free and, and uh, vegan. Um, and so these things continue to build trust, not just with the consumer, but also as we reach out to retailers and practitioners to work with. We are currently raising $500,000 on Funder, and we're doing that both through a Reg CF and a Reg D. And we went this route partly um, because of where we were at in terms of our launch, but also we wanted to have everybody participate and gain some traction along the way. Um, and what's great is anybody can invest. You can invest if you're unaccredited for as little as $100. You can go right now to WeFunder and invest $100. Or accredited investors um, can invest as well at a larger sum. You may be asking yourself, why Element Apothic? Why are consumers going to turn to us? Why shouldn't an investor turn to us? It's trust. It's trust with the products we create. It's trust with the team that we've built. It's trust with everything that we're doing. Invest now and join us on our journey to set a new standard of clean science. Element Apothic, never ever anything but good. Thank you so much. Excellent presentation, Davina, thank you so much. And, uh, and certainly uh, we enjoy your promise, your never ever promise. That, that is excellent. Uh, excellent job of your leadership there as well. I want to open up the questions to the investor judges. Do, you, uh, have, do I have a question from our investor judges? David, you have a question? Yes, uh, Davina, great job. Um, what is the cost or the unit cost per, per uh, the unit price per um, tincture, per balm, per lotions and serums and like the margins on those? Yeah, so so our our unit cost is about three to one in terms of the the margins. Uh, you know, retail we're looking approximately about 85 percent. Um, some of it higher depending on the variation of the tinctures and and the ingredients. And then on the wholesale side, we're approximately about sixty five to seventy five percent. Again, depending on the variations of those products and and. Those will adjust, especially because we do use those minor cannabinoids. And right now, CBG and CBN are, 
are still relatively expensive. Those prices, we have seen a drop over the last several months and expect to continue. And, and there's companies that are formulating a combination of the cannab minor cannabinoids. And so we'll have some adjustment in that. That will be an improvement. That's about where we're at right now. Thank you so much. And then just a follow-up question in, in terms of the sourcing of a consistent CBD, do you foresee any potential problems with that? I, I mean, currently, I think the company that we are sourcing from, I feel really confident. Um, they have organic certification. Um, they're a trusted company. And so I, I'm not really too concerned about, about that. Um, the COAs are amazing and clean and and they're, um, you know, continue to be consistent with the products that they're providing. Great, thank you. Divina, can you also provide your link to your WeFunder campaign in the chat? So if there's someone here who wants to go over and make an investment uh, into your company through the crowdfunding, they can do so. Okay, yeah, definitely. Uh, so do we have other questions from the investor judge panel? Um, yes. yeah, um, great presentation. Um, you, I know you've got a big mission ahead of you being transparency in the CBD business uh, in general. And you tell a great story about your and how this all came about. I don't know how many SKUs you currently have, but I was wondering how did you come up with those or did you use some type of analytics to understand what would be the biggest demand in the market for these products? Uh, and, and, and again, you said you do have COA testing, but are you testing the product your ingredients before you make the product, or you're only doing the testing afterwards. Because again, it comes down to, like you say, trusting. And I can assure you, uh, from our perspective as a company, we tested about 20 different CBD products last year, and 99% of them came back with zero CBD. So there's a big uphill challenge to be able to win the trust out there. And I'm just wondering again, if the marketing budget is going to be there for what you're asking for, because I say, I show you that 30% is your budget of the marketing cost of the brand, just on how much traction you can be able to get with that at this point. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, you've got a big battle ahead of you, needless to say, if you earn that trust for the CBD site. Yeah, I, I, I do know that we have a big battle ahead of us, and I, I really do feel confident that we're going to be able to overcome this hurdle. So to go back to the first part of your question in terms of how did we come up with these products, we did a lot of uh, market analysis in terms of what were the products that are that consumers are really looking for, especially the conscious consumer. What do they need to help support sleep or help support anxiety? And so we we looked to the products that really would have the easiest market um, adoption and what's already out there, but also how could ours fill a little bit of a different uh, you know angle than some of the other products are created. We also had a lot of customers that were before that had worked with my aunt. And so that also helped tell the story of what products they often were, were using and, and were demanding as well. So that's how we got to it. We are now um, working with the medical advisory team. You know, once we launch these products, obviously we have to continue the R&D and they're looking at some of the things that they have seen as some of the common needs to support some of these other uh, needs and conditions you have to be so careful in what you say but we are looking to to really create products that that help fill the void and what exists but we launched with the products first that were the easiest to adopt for the consumer um in in terms of the uh, marketing budget yeah i think 
we probably 30% we it probably initially is going to be much more than 30% we expect most of the raise is that we're continuing to do is either going to go towards marketing or for actually the sourcing of the, the products and ingredients um, and then all of the other stuff that follows because we, we do have to reach the consumer that has kind of been disenfranchised like you said by all of the negative feedback all of the inaccurate you know promises that are being made and, and testing and so that is why we are focused a lot on education, um, but that's all going to be money to push that out there and marketing and really being able to cut through the noise. Thank you. I know I ask you a lot. Thank you no, so it's much. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Josh, I didn't mean to take some of your time, sir. <laughs> Those good questions. Uh, yeah, Davine, I wanted to ask a couple questions about um, the percentage of expected revenue from wholesale versus retail, 85% on uh, retail. Or, uh, excuse me, wholesale uh, margins are good. What's the percentage of wholesale that you're going to have versus retail though? Yeah, I mean, right now we're, we're primarily focused on our direct-to-consumer. So we expect that to make up a majority um, of our uh, money coming in. But we did have this opportunity to partner with this uh, GPO group. And, and so that's quickly going to change the dynamic in terms of what that looks like. Our goal is to get to about a 50-50 ratio, um, but it might actually shift heavier right now to start um, with this opportunity and some of these other wholesale opportunities that we're getting right now. And then with the convertible note, is there a discount and a cap that goes with that? Yeah, so there's a discount um, that goes with it. There's a 10% discount um, and there's a 7% interest on that. And then um, intellectual property, is there anything, and also with uh, roadblocks, with the FDA, do you foresee any issues with the FDA and do you have any intellectual property at the moment? In terms of the FDA, I mean, it's, we're trying to, we have an advisor actually that has worked with the FDA um, in his previous life. And so we're really being cautious of, of how we market our company, um, our labeling requirements, I think there's going to be much more requirements that are put on companies and responsibilities in terms of their transparency, in terms of their labeling and how they communicate things. And so we're really trying to abide by what we are expecting and anticipating to come down the pipeline that can change and they can always throw a wrench in it, but we're really trying to stay on top of that as much as possible. And then what was your other question? I apologize. Uh, the questions I had were about I, intellectual property. Yeah, so in terms of intellectual property, uh, we, we have started to look at exploring patents and things like that. It's kind of tricky in the uh, you know CPG space and with formulations, but we have been really protective over our IP and our formulations and in terms of the agreements that have been signed with the manufacturer that we work with and really are holding those formulations close. But we are also exploring the possibility of looking at maybe patenting a, a combination of our own special mix that goes into each of the formulations um, so that we hold that IP. Thank you, Davina. And uh, forgive me for the uh, West Coast white boy pronunciation of your <laughs> name. Uh, I'm probably going to get names all the time wrong. And I know that happens with me too. 
oftentimes people mispronounce my name. And uh, so I apologize for that. We do want to get, uh, we have a couple of minutes, maybe like about two minutes to get to a couple of audience questions. So I do have a couple of audience questions here. One from Ryan Murphy. His question is, uh, it, it's a saturated market, it seems to be a saturated market. And there's a lot of competition with other MLM CBD companies that already exist. So can you talk about that and how you uh, plan to uh, be competitive in the saturated market? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's going to come down to a couple of things in terms of, of the, the marketing, the positioning that we take, um, education, and just really trying to show people, you know, really establishing the trust and that we're different and that we're not just another white label product or multi-level market company that's being, that's pushing their stuff out there. And that's really the focus that we're taking in terms of how we're creating our messaging and trying to stand out in, ter and in terms of the efficacy of our products um, is really how we're differentiating ourselves. Uh, we have maybe one minute to answer a couple of questions. So let me just ask a couple of questions here. Um, first, where can you buy the product? Uh, where can we get the product now? And can you talk about the product efficacy uh, on your third-party testing? How are you um, how are you confirming the efficacy? So on our products, I'll, I'll put both WeFunder as well as our website link, but you can go to elementapothic.com and we have an incredible 30% off right now for the holidays. Everyone should go in there and buy our products. Um, and in terms of the third-party um, product efficacy and COAs, and, and Terry had um, asked that earlier as well. So in terms of our COAs, we have our testing before we start with our products or the CBD, and then we also do our COAs and testing after. And I think a lot of companies miss that step and through the product formulation, things change and, and things shift. So we're really focused on really providing that level of transparency. With efficacy, we are going to be actually doing some uh, actual um, in-person uh, efficacy testing and observational studies with the GPO group that we're working with. And we're in conversations now with the, with the testing lab that actually can test things. It's tricky because they sometimes test them on animal skins and stuff like that for absorption rates. And we're vegan and cruelty-free. So we're looking at some alternatives, but we're going to be and have done observational studies. And, and we have 10 years of consumers that have used the product and shown that they're actually really helpful and have been um, helpful and impactful. Thank you so much, Davina Kawanoi, uh, CEO of Element Apothic. Thank you for your presentation here today. Our next uh, presenter, uh, and I'll just remind you that these presenters are going to be available also in our networking, which follows this uh, event. We'll have a separate networking meeting be available there and contact information is also available on the linkedventures.net website. Uh, our next presenter is Jim Macoso, CEO of Flow Technology. Flow Technology creates the only true cannabis uh, nanoparticles by using a one-step water-based extraction process that eliminates dangerous solvents. Uh, the resulting product is a microcrystalline powder that can be infused with almost any base ingredient to create solid and and liquid edibles. These edibles um, created by Flow are both solventless and faster acting. Uh, they have three uh, patent pendings in the process. And we were just, my wife and I were actually just talking about your product, about how we can put that in cookies with this sugar. So we were actually talking about that this morning. So hopefully I didn't steal all of your thunder, uh, but uh, Jim, it, it's uh, to you now, Jim Makoso. 
Hey guys, uh, thank you for the opportunity, Tim. Really appreciate it. Uh, happy holidays to everyone. I uh, hope you guys are all, uh, you know, finishing this year well, despite what's going on with COVID. And to my uh, other presenters, uh, best of luck, and I uh, hope you have success with all your raises. Uh, I'm going to share my screen right now. And can you see that? Yes. Great. Um, so as was just mentioned uh, at Flow, uh, as Tim mentioned, at Flow Technology, we create the only powdered cannabis nanoparticles in the world. Uh, I'm Jim, I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of this exciting opportunity. Our work is focused on using nanotechnology to create a better product platform to get cannabis into consumer products to enable safer, more reliable, and more consistent consumer experiences, which is what we, we feel is really lacking in the industry right now. Uh, to make this possible, we've developed a, and proven a sustainable production process, outputting versatile cannabis nanoparticles in a water-based extraction process. Uh, there's many applications for the technology. Uh, for us, we're gonna go after the lowest hanging fruit first, and that is using our technology to create infused ingredients like sweeteners, salt, cocoa powder, dried milk, and, and, and others, and selling them directly to product manufacturers in a B2B model. Uh, at the moment, the bar for consumer products is exceptionally low, uh, but that's gonna change. Uh, you know, what we found in the market, and we've been in the market, in the regulated market for six years, and, and what we've seen is that leading companies have yet to make quality their highest priority and often are selling contaminated products or as Terry pointed out, products that don't have any cannabinoids in them at all. Um, industry standard is to use harmful solvents and additives to create these products. Uh, I think Davina did a great job of illustrating in uh, her industry specifically uh, some ways that companies are trying to go around that. Um, but given our experience in extraction, we found that most companies to create infused products like food, beverages, uh, you know, cosmetics and supplements, they're taking the sticky, messy, difficult to work with extract and then using things like solvents, surfactants and emulsifiers to try to create stable products. As a result, end consumers are having inconsistent product experiences and unwanted side effects. At Flow, we've incorporated methods from the pharma, food and beverage industries into several patent pending technologies used to create our product platform. Uh, as Tim mentioned a little earlier, we're using water in a sustainable extraction process to produce powdered extract. We then take our nanoparticleized extract and then combine it into new types of product ingredients. And really what this enables us to do is create a wider array of options for CPG product manufacturers at very competitive pricing. Um, you know, to get started, as mentioned, you know, there's a lot of applications for the technology, but uh, we, in, we are using our technology to create common ingredients like sugar and other sweeteners, salt, coffee, cocoa powder, and uh, creating that model to sell directly to manufacturers uh, to create more stable and consistent as well as versatile products. Uh, we all know this already. Davina uh, outlined this in her slides as well. The market is a huge market and growing. Um, this year, we estimate between, or at least, excuse me, Technavio estimate, estimates between 14 to $15 billion global market uh, and growing to over 45 billion by 2025. 
Uh, and the target customers that we're going after are 30% uh, of that market. Um, in terms of the activity, you know, what are the big CPG brands that are already in the space? I'm sure a lot of you who are a little bit more focused on the cannabis industry saw this uh, yesterday into today, and that is Afria and Tilray announced a reverse merger that's worth about $4 billion. And if you read a number of the articles with Bloomberg probably being the one I'd highlight the most, uh, that merger is to take advantage of the US and European markets and the expansion of consumer packaged goods, specifically food and beverages is what they mentioned specifically. A couple of other companies that have uh, made investments into the space uh, from the consumer packaged goods side, Constellation Brands, we all know about, 3 billion in Canopy, Altria, 1.4 in Kronos Group, uh, Molson Coors, 43 million in Hexo, uh, Anheuser-Busch, uh, who is a part of this Tilray transaction, invested 38 million for beverage uh, development with Tilray in a joint venture. And, uh, you know, most recently, Nestle, a large CPG brand, um, inked a deal with a company named Geocan to take their soft gels that were uh, with a infusion technology uh, using uh, a liposome or a, a self-assorting uh, colloid, basically a, an emulsion, um, and, and taking that product and distributing it into Europe. So there's really big CPG companies in the space right now. For us, uh, given the quality of the products that we're outputting, this is how we're gonna make money. Uh, our business model is based in these three revenue channels, and that is partnerships with large companies in supply and development agreements, of which we've signed a couple of letters of intent with our first round of customers already. Uh, white label CPG brands will bring in house uh, and produce their products in our licensed facility here in Seattle. Uh, and distribute those to Washington-based retailers, of which we have uh, a network of distribution already. And then finally, hemp CBD manufacturers like Davina's company, uh, who are looking to expand their products and focus on cleaner, more sustainable uh, solutions for infused ingredients for their products. Uh, to make this happen, it takes a qualified team. Me and my team have over 18 years of uh, cannabis and hemp experience. Anybody who comes uh, who comes from the cannabis industry knows that uh, cannabis years are like dog years. You know, every year you're in the space, there's seven years of, uh, of other industries. Um, my background is in finance. Um, I'm an experienced entrepreneur. This is my third business in the cannabis space. Uh, and I hold several board seats, advisory board seats on a number of other companies as well as an investor in a couple other companies. Uh, Steve is an electrical engineer and he comes uh, with a background in electronics manufacturing. He's really our technology expert and he's actually developed industry standard technology in a previous company uh, that we've owned uh, that's become industry standard uh, for distillation. And then Brad rounds us out. He is a published pharmaceutical chemist uh, who cut his teeth initially at the USDA marijuana research program before uh, joining industry and uh, joining one of the largest hemp manufacturing companies in Colorado. Uh, by extension, our board of advisors, given the technology and our goal to attack the CPG, CPG sector first, kind of rounds us out a couple of scientists, Kyle, who is well known in the semiconductor technology space uh, for creating manufacturing solutions, and Marco, one of the largest CPG companies, uh, owns one of the largest CPG companies in Washington. From a competitive landscape, there's a few companies, uh, there's many companies out there trying to create infused solutions. Uh, Vertosa is probably the one I'd illuminate the most or the most well-known doing the deals with the biggest companies, including Pabst, who just released a uh, 
uh, seltzer infused with THC in California. Vertosa developed that uh, nano emulsion technology that went into that product. Um, but the big takeaway I'd say is we are the only fully, uh, the only company creating our infusions in a fully sustainable manufacturing process using water, where our only byproducts are water, cannabinoids, and table salt. Uh, beyond that, uh, we do not use additives in, or any surfactants in our uh, infusion process. In other words, to create an ingredient, we just use cannabinoids, our intellectual property, uh, and the ingredient to make a uh, to make a uh, infused ingredient. Uh, a few more details about our competitive advantages. As mentioned, we have a few provisional patents. We're hoping to convert into utility patents in the next uh, six to nine months. Um, uh, some of the technology where we are developing literally at the cutting edge of uh, what's possible in the cannabis space include using polymers and nanoporous membrane filtration. Uh, in addition, one place that we think we're really sets us apart is we are the only company creating carboxylated cannabinoids in this um, uh, in nanoparticle form. Um, we think that the acidic cannabinoids have a lot of benefits. Uh, we're certainly doing the research on the back end to showcase that. And certainly uh, that's an educational component we will contribute to into the future. And then beyond that, as mentioned, our process is fully solvent and additive free. A uh, little bit of traction, uh, as mentioned, we proved uh, at the bench top or lab scale uh, our process in March. Uh, we filed our provisional patents there in Q2 over the summer. We closed our first investment of 150,000 uh, in September. Uh, we started our facility build out in our new facility here in October. Uh, we signed a few letters of intent back in November and we just got our license last week um, to uh, process cannabis here in Washington. Um, and uh, we're looking to close this round of investment here in Q1. So our revenue model consists of uh, developing a customer base uh, to sell our infused ingredients as kind of the first application of our technology. We expect to earn about $10,000 per customer and add about 10 customers to our product um, pipeline uh, next year. We expect to start the sales of our products uh, in Q2 at the end of Q2 over the summer. And as mentioned, we've already kind of built that initial pipeline of customers, signing uh, letters of intent for them to be kind of the first in line as we develop. This is, uh, we anticipate is gonna lead to about a $20 million uh, gross revenue company by 2024 uh, at a 33% margin. This gives you kind of a, a snapshot of how we anticipate that we'll get there. Um, and, and really the, the primary revenue channels are gonna be focused at least as it pertains to THC uh, here in Washington initially and as it pertains to uh, our hemp CBD customers throughout the US. In terms of what we're doing in a raise, we're raising a million dollars at a 7% convertible note 20% discounted to $6 million valuation cap. And that's really gonna fund our growth over the course of the next 18 to 24 months. Uh, the primary investment outside of the technology that we've already developed uh, is going to be the team. Obviously to execute anything at this level of technological advancement in any industry, you need good people. Uh, we've certainly started with a good foundation, uh, but we've segregated about 10% of our company uh, for uh, an option pool to attract a really good, a really good team, and obviously we're going to use some of this capital to bring on a process chemist and a food scientist, in addition to the science scientists we already have uh, here on site. What's the exit opportunity? Why are why is this such a promising sector of the space? Um, probably the most comparative company 
that we'd say uh, would showcase a similarity in terms of the exit opportunity is a company named Ebu. They sold for uh, just uh, right around 330 million and mainly stock and some cash uh, to uh, Canopy, which, uh, you know, as you know, uh, uh, has that big investment from Constellation Brands. And really, this is a company that was focused purely on cannabis technology and developing intellectual property around growing the plant. Um, you know, they had at the time of acquisition about 20 patents that were um, granted and about 20 in the pipeline with no revenue. Uh, similar to us, they started by creating products to showcase their technology and develop really the uh, strategy. But as they've developed steam um, and momentum in their intellectual property portfolio, they focus fully on the technology. Uh, certainly, uh, from, a, from a comparative standpoint, we see ourselves growing in a similar way. We are certainly a technology company, but uh, to get to where we want to be in terms of um, development of technology, you got to make money, and there's a lot of really good applications for this technology in the market right now. Um, we see our technology being different in that their focus was on growing the plant. Our focus is fully on how to take what is produced in a developed plant, extracting the things we want, and cleanly and efficiently and scalably introducing that into consumer products in a, in a very consistent way. Uh, and so, um, you know, our focus in technology is on processing and, and ingredient and product infusion. Uh, so we see a lot of promise there with, with that comparable. Thank you very much for your kind attention and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Excellent, thank you, Jim Makosikos. Uh, CEO of Flow Technology. I want to open it up the questions to our investor judges. Before I do, I want to remind the audience, if you have questions, uh, use the Q&A at the bottom of your Zoom app. There is a Q&A button where you can type in your question. The panelists will then see your question so we can get to your questions and I can read them aloud. Uh, do our investor judges have a question? Yeah, I do. Um, Jim, want to start off asking, well, great presentation, by the way. Love that deck. Good job. Um, quick follow-up on uh, carboxylation and nanotechnology. Um, immediately to me, that that's, um, that's kind of a, a precursor for kind of overdosing on THC. Is that the reason why you're going towards that? What's, what's kind of thought pattern behind that? And what are you going to do with it? Uh, great question. The reason why we are doing this is because of exactly what you meant once you mentioned, which is there are already people who are consuming way too much cannabis unwittingly or unknowingly. Um, and it's because of the delayed onset usually associated with eating something, having it go into your gut and then pass into the other parts of your body for processing. Uh, there's anecdotal evidence in other industries already about uh, cannabinoid uh, nanoparticles. And there's very little information as it pertains to the cannabis industry of how the particle size of, let's say, a cannabinoid or a cannabinoid infused ingredient affects the uptake or bioavailability is the term you'll hear that people have borrowed from the cannabis industry. So the goal in the background of what we're doing, and, and we're already in discussions with uh, a prominent university here, is to set up the studies to do the research for the nanoparticles and the particle size specifically affecting the uptake of these products. Uh, I think what we will find, um, and you know, you've seen this in, in other industries anecdotally, is that as we control the particle size of the cannabinoids we are delivering in our products, 
we will then see more consistency with the consumer experience. And ultimately, the really big companies, the companies that we haven't seen get involved in this space from a food, uh, beverage, and supplement standpoint, uh, the reason why we haven't seen them join in is because we cannot consistently produce consumer experiences that are, um, that are consistent and uh, uh, without unwanted side effects. So the goal for us starting this company in terms of in creating infused ingredients is to create a more consistent experience for consumers. And that's why we went in this direction. Uh, to your other part of your question about uh, carboxylic, uh, carboxylic acids, um, that we know, right, uh, when it comes to THCA, that's not, that doesn't give you the euphoria, right? So it's not, it doesn't have a psychotropic effect. It's only when you decarboxylate it through heat um, uh, or oxygen exposure over time that you get this THC, which has, gives you the euphoria. So THC, we don't, we don't think that people will, use, will be using THCA anytime soon to get high. But certainly with other cannabinoids that Davina pointed out, like in the case of CBDA, there is, uh, there's literature that shows that CBDA actually may be up to 100 times more active than the decarboxylated CBD. So our process lends to producing the acidic cannabinoids in nanoparticle form. And then depending on the application, we will decarboxylate or selectively not decarboxylate in our infusion process. And that's where some of our intellectual property is, is, uh, is protected. Excellent. Uh, do we have another question from our investor judges? We have a lot of questions coming in from the audience as well. Uh, you have, do you have any other questions, Terry or David? I have a quick one. Hi, uh, Jim. Uh, great presentation. I love what you're doing. Definitely there's a need for a uh, consistent delivery in the market uh, for products. Uh, what is your current structure, though? I know you said you did a first raise of 150000 You could just kind of tell me real quick what your structure is right now and how many investors you have. And also, when are you looking to bring on some type of sales team uh, to start marketing your product once it is available? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so uh, you asked specifically, what's the structure of our business? How many investors do we have? And what are we doing on the sales front? Uh, so the structure of our business is a corporation. We're set up as a Delaware corporation. Um, the round that we're doing now, the million dollar raise, the convertible note was a part of that round. They were first money in at 150. Um, the uh, in terms of investors uh, outside of the uh, outside of the team that I have here, they're the only investors uh, in. We financed this um, at the bench top scale before we incorporated, purely out of our own capital between the co-founders. We invested about a hundred thousand, uh, completely off balance sheet, just as a small passion project uh, on the side to prove viability. Once we proved it, we just you know uh, that's when we incorporated keep our, uh, our books super clean. So the only investment we have on the books at the moment is that 150,000 as a part of the, uh, to lead the convertible note round. Uh, as far as sales are concerned, um, we have a uh, sales manager, VP of sales uh, in our other business that we're bringing in uh, on this business. He's exceptional. He has over 40 years of sales experience. Uh, and we have a group, uh, one of the groups that's looking at us already for investment that is a marketing uh, and a distribution company that's looking to uh, potentially join us in the sales effort. Uh, but beyond that, we have, you know, we have a lot of experience in this industry. We've been selling products in this industry for a long time, which is why we already have uh, several companies that have, you know, already agreed to, to be our first customers because they believe in what we're, what we're building out. So great question. Excellent. 
Excellent. We we have just about two or three minutes to answer a couple of other questions, and I want to get to the audience questions as well. I'm going to combine a few of the questions, and I think some of them have already been answered. Uh, one one question uh, was, how quick is an uptake of your product? Uh, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that my legal department would like me not to make claims on how quick we're gonna, our product is going to uptake. But here's what I will tell you from that standpoint. Uh, when it comes to uptake or bioavailability, our first uh, research endeavor is, is looking into just that. The difference between our nanoparticles versus other forms of creating um, encapsulated nanoparticles that's common in the industry versus just using distillate and solvent to create uh, infused ingredients and doing a PK and even a PD study, or uh, you know, for those that don't know, a pharmacokinetic or a pharmacodynamic study on exactly how quickly or how differently those, up to, uh, those uh, formulation methods uptake in the body. So here's what I will say. Uh, there's literature out there already that a, a smaller particle size should lead to quicker uptake. The way it's carried into your body, be it through a sugar or a salt or a fat, that can affect how quickly it's uptaken and whether or not it, it bypasses, um, uh, whether or not it gets absorbed into the blood quicker in your gut or if it has to go through the liver, uh, which leads to that 11-hydroxy-THC, which is a little bit more potent and takes a little bit longer time. But um, to answer your question directly, no one... There are a lot of people studying that right now, and we include to study that with a with an accredited university uh, in an academic study as our first order of business on the research side. Excellent, thank you, Jim Macoso. I I know we uh, have a lot of questions here. Uh, if Jim, if you could, there's there's several questions that popped up in the Q and A uh, during the presentation. Uh, if you could type some of the answers, maybe. Also, I want to remind you that uh, if you have additional questions uh, for Jim McCulso or any of the companies that presented here today, we do have the networking event following this. Will it be a separate meeting? We do have the networking meeting. You can ask your questions there as well as their contact information. It will be available on the website at linkedventures.net. You can also get into direct contact with any of the presenters here to be able to ask your questions that you have. Um, with that, we, we don't have any more time for questions right now. So I wanna move on to our next speaker. Our next presenter is uh, Jonah Tuckman, CEO of eBumps. eBumps is a company that's based out of New York, uh, New York City and eBumps is developing a new advertising platform for the 21st century. They provide companies with an opportunity to advertise on a revolutionary platform that's unlocking location-based advertising in a real world like never before. By offering space on their e-bump to advertisers, drivers can also get paid for driving that they already do while supporting brands and missions that they believe in. Jonah, uh, the it, hopefully I didn't steal, uh, I know you presented here before and I hope I didn't steal all your thunder, but I know you have some great announcements as well. Uh, this is your, you've presented here a couple of times. I know you have some other announcements about some of your uh, recent updates. So we're looking forward to your presentation, uh, Jonah Tuckman. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you very much, Tim. Um, all right. Well, thank you everyone for being here. Um, uh, my name is Jonah Tuckman. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of eBumps. And at eBumps, we've created a market for 227 million 
licensed drivers who have not yet had the ability to monetize their space. When we were founding this company, we found a few issues with the out-of-home advertising space as it now stands. For large companies and agencies, we found that an ROI is a difficult thing to track and it can be quite expensive in the same route. Billboards are difficult to track impressions with and lead to a great deal of fraud and misleading information in terms of how many impressions they truly are getting. For small businesses, an ROI is difficult to track and there are limited options in the out-of-home space. And for this grouping of people, billboards are far too expensive. And then for the individuals, there's a high need to express themselves that right now is limited to solely social media. And for them, billboards are as well are way too expensive. And thus we created a solution for the out-of-home space, an advertising platform similar to an outdoor Facebook ad store. Through the creation of 21 and a half inch LCD screens that are mounted to the passenger side door of vehicles, we have essentially created moving digital billboards with targeted advertising. And from there for our drivers, we've created a personal monetization system beyond just social media and large online presences. Because it's a new idea, we created a short video that we think explains the idea quite well. eBumps is creating a completely new ad space, allowing drivers to be paid for work that they're already doing. We give advertisers the insight associated with digital advertisements and the attention-grabbing flair of outdoor ones by allowing them to advertise on the fleet of cars already filling the streets. Users can evaluate their ad campaigns in real time and see when and where people are interacting with them. This gives everyday drivers an additional source of passive income. By displaying our ads on your car, you get paid for the driving you already do. In an ever uncertain world, eBumps provides exciting new opportunities for everyone. We've identified the market size to be roughly $260 billion, 8.6 billion of these being in the billboard and out-of-home advertising space alone and 181 million of these being in the digital out-of-home space. Through our work with a company called Street Metrics, who does our impression counting, they have spoken on the fact that through impression counting and ROI analytics, we not only speak to billboard and out-of-home advertisers, but also towards the digital advertising dollars, which are roughly $130 billion annually. Our market based on rather conservative projections is roughly $51 million. This is our 2024 annual revenue. If we were to have just 1100 screens on the road, which represents less than 1% of the total market share. Our business model is based on a VCPM, meaning a viewable cost per mill. This allows advertisers to pay a CPM for the digital advertising that we deploy on our platform onto our, uh, onto our portable LCT ad, LCD advertising displays. We then take this portion with high margins to allow a percentage of it towards our drivers and partners. We've made multiple strategic manufacturing and industry partners in our time that have allowed us to be so successful in the past year. Our first was AU Uptronics, who's an LCD manufacturing firm based out of Taiwan. They're often referred to as the best LCD manufacturers in the world as they now build the screens for companies like Samsung. When first working with AUO, they shared with us they do not work with startups or small companies, and thus their working with us is incredibly indicative of where they think that our business model will be taking us. We then signed on a company called Tech Global, a system integration firm based out of Chicago. They take our LCDs and build the mounting and further systems that then go onto the vehicles. They represent firms such as 3M, Delta, and Motorola and do incredibly high-level work. 
We then partnered with a firm, Street Metrics, who works on the collection of impression data and return on investment analytics. They build algorithms that use historical impression data alongside location demographic data and allow us to, to present um, really detailed impression counts towards our clients as well as ROI analytics for them. And lastly, we work with Verizon on our cellular receptors that connect our, uh, on, that connect our screens to our devices and our systems. The competition in this space are companies like Gravit, Firefly, and Halo, all of these being large and bulky permanent fixtures that require professional installation. And similarly, all of these having a revenue cap. Our screens are low cost LCDs that require no professional installation or not permanent fixtures. Through our work with street metrics, we have highly advanced impression data that then differentiates ourselves from billboards and other out of home spaces that exist. And because our work is not solely with programmatic advertisers, but additionally with our open ad store, we don't have a revenue cap that would exist in terms of what a programmatic ad firm can sell us, but rather we have an open ad exchange for whoever would like to list ads. For our drivers, we are originally opening in New York City in the beginning of January of 2021. This rollout will be, uh, will be 25 screens, mainly delivery and professional drivers. And as of now, we already have over 100 drivers that have signed up. And similarly, we have seven screens that have signed on to go on to John's famous hot dog in the heart of Times Square. He's on 46th and Broadway and will also be working as a sales ambassador for us when he is approached daily about running advertisements on his screen as it is in some of the best locations in the world. Um, he will direct them towards the e-bump system. Right now, a billboard in Times Square is anywhere from $5,000 to $50,000 a day. And thus, at our CPM of $5 to $20, we're wildly undercutting. Um, we're wildly undercutting these billboards and thus opening the market to smaller businesses and individuals. For the small businesses, we've identified this as an applicable solution, which now allows them to run advanced targeted advertising campaigns in the out-of-home space for a cheap and affordable cost. They can now run campaigns in locations specific to their stores in times that they feel they'll get the highest return for an affordable cost, which isn't existent right now in the out-of-home space. And for the individual, we allow for a, a space of expression. Young activists have a way to spread their message. Young musicians and young artists have a way to get their name out and much more onto our platform. We have strategic partners in our marketing forces as well. Marketing 360 is a Denver-based firm who represents the Denver Broncos. As of now, they get us roughly 86,000 monthly impressions and 3,500 monthly page views. And similarly, we work with ViStar Media, who's a programmatic advertising firm, meaning that they build advertising auctions to all of the unsold space on our system. So when we go to market in early January, as we do not have any sold space on our systems yet, um, Bystar will be selling the total unsold space and thus we will have a revenue stream the second that we get to market. We're originally going to market in New York in early January and from there plan to expand to cities such as Boston, Chicago, Seattle, Austin, Las Vegas, and then further cities within the United States and have already begun the planning internally of international expansion. Our founding team is myself as CEO, Cole Johnson is the Director of Business Development, and Corn Rose is the Chief Technology Officer. Ebums has a really interesting story where Corn and I actually founded it while still in school. 
we wrote software and we built hardware in our off-campus house. And then all of us raised over $400,000 before ever graduating and have now built, uh, built the company to all of its success that it now holds in less than a year. As of now, we've seen pretty exciting traction and milestones. We've contracted with programmatic advertisers who sell our unsold inventory. We have 25 units that we are deploying in January of 2021 that will see an immediate revenue stream. We've signed up over 100 New York City drivers and we've contracted seven screens in Times Square. And we have a letter of intent for international joint ventures that we are currently in the due diligence stage of. And similarly, we are patent pending with a PCT application, meaning that any country that follows the patent cooperation treaty will allow us to patent our IP at a really seamless um, state and thus international expansion is quite relevant and easy on, our, on the IP protection side. We're raising right now $2 million, which we will use to produce and deploy 500 LCD screens and for additional sales and marketing. Right now, we predict with the data that we've heard on impressions from street metrics and the CPM rate that we've heard from Vistar Media, that a screen will make us roughly $90 a day and thus $2,700 a month. This then means that these 500 screens will produce over $16 million in annual revenue. And with our high margins, we then hope that this will be our last time raising as we will then be able to use profit to purchase further screens. In 2024, at a, um, at a annual revenue of, 50, of $32 million, which as I said, is rather conservative and actually below what we have projected, we have an ROI of 53%. And my contact info is right here in case anyone would like to uh, ask further questions or really discuss how we can get involved. And so thank you very much, everyone. I really do hope that you will be a part of the future of out-of-home advertising with us. Excellent job, thank you, Jonah Tuckman. Uh, I see the you know there's uh, I, I was looking at your ROI and I know when we, when you look at the ROI that's an annualized ROI uh, through 2024, which is quite impressive. And uh, January looks to be some uh, revenue production, so that's also quite impressive. We we want to uh, we have some questions coming in from the audience, but I want to give the uh, investor judges an opportunity to ask some questions as well. Um, so from our investor judges, do we have some questions? David, it looks like you have a question. Yes, uh, great job, Jonah. Um, just, um, I know that you man man mentioned that the monitors are very low cost, but do you have a strategy to pre prevent theft um, off of the vehicle? Um, or any sort of strategy that, that you can speak to? Yeah, certainly. So um, we, we found ourselves in a really interesting paradox where we wanted to, um, to be easily removable for the user, and yet we also didn't want them to be stolen. And so we had to find the medium between those two and Street Metrics, um, or sorry, uh, Tech Global, who is working on our system integration and thus building all of these systems that allow the screen to mount onto the car, has worked in the past with the screens that you see on the sides of buses and the screens that you see on the sides of bus stops and mailboxes and things of that sort. And so they're really confident in the system that they've built 
It has a small lock that doesn't allow for theft. Um, they explain that if you don't know how to do it correctly and you don't have this small lock, that you would need a crowbar to get it off of the um, car. And so we, we feel confident based on all of the testing that they've done and all of their market experience that um, that won't be a high issue. Thank you. What about the power supply to run these monitors? Yeah, they simply, um, we have a cord that runs through the door. It can be slammed on top of, and it plugs into the cigarette lighter. And did, did you share what, uh, I know you said like uh, $2 million you're working to raise. I don't know how much you've raised so far. You're saying the money you're working to raise is for additional monitors. Uh, how what do you pay the drivers? And how do you know that they're getting so many miles in for you so they're not just sitting in the garage and trying to collect revenue from these, uh, these opportunities? Yeah, certainly. So um, right now we already have 25 screens that are purchased and they're coming in January. And we're deploying those in New York City. And out of the 100 drivers that have signed up, because we have a finite amount of screens, we've had the ability to make um, more targeted decisions about where they're going. And so we know all of the drivers, we know their driving patterns and such. Similarly, our software knows uh, activity um, because we track the locations to be able to understand impression data and how to target these advertisements. We know if they aren't driving and in their terms and conditions, they are signing on and saying that if they aren't, if they aren't driving for a certain uh, portion of time, we are, uh, we are certainly allowed to ask for it back and uh, we sustain ownership throughout the entire time. A driver doesn't pay for the screen, we give it to them. Um, and so really our software is able to flag all of those things and let us know if it's not producing revenue. Excellent, do we have another question? Josh, uh, did you have a question for Jonah? Yeah, curious about the number of uh, potential advertisers you have and any potential issues from um, particular states or locations that won't allow for, you know, that type of mobile advertising. Yeah, so, so that, that's an interesting question. In terms of the potential advertisers who have signed up, um, we have our sales team that is speaking to a large variety of them. And really, they just want to know that the system's available. And so through all of the conversations, um, there are a handful of them who have said, just contact us when it's ready and we'd love to. And so the system is up, but the screens aren't on the road and they don't want to run a campaign uh, a month in the, in the future. And so there are, there are certainly a grouping who are ready. But the nice thing about what programmatic advertising does is they sell everything that's unsold. And so when we go to market, we will have, we expect somewhere from the range of 90 to 100% of the screen unsold to advertisers. And Viestar will come in and fill every ad slot that is existing. The thing about that is that we pay a bit higher of a commission rate to them than we would if we sell it in-house, of course. And so we look to uh, we look to branch off of that as we continue through sales and marketing. And we think that we're going to be successful in that front. But the nice thing is that Viestar only sells what is unsold. So if we go off and sell 40% of our system, they sell the other 60%. So we're never wasting space on the screens. And then to the question about locations, um, again, with our software, we, we've, we've come across a few of those issues with our legal team. Um, and simply enough, it, it's, it's a simple software solution where um, 
For example, something we came across was not being able to advertise in certain locations, not in New York, but in terms of our thoughts towards expansion um, that are surrounding schools or that are surrounding freeways, et cetera. Um, and we can put all of that into our code that just allows it to turn off when it's in that location. And so it spends a minute not running ads and then it turns right back on after. Excellent, thank you, uh, Jonah. Uh, do we have other questions from our investor judges? We do have some questions from the audience. It's like we're good there. Uh, first question uh, from from the uh, audiences. Uh, have these, you know, right now, I, obviously there's a winter storm that came through uh, the, the Northeast there. And so uh, talking about winter conditions, uh, have these been tested in winter conditions? Yeah, absolutely. Our, our engineers have done a lot of testing. Um, I, I've seen videos of them spraying it with hoses, jumping up and down on top of them. Um, they're, they're, they're very well tested. Excellent. And can you um, talk about, uh, you know, a little more in depth about the, the hardware or technical challenges that you've had and how you've how you've overcome them? or how you intend to overcome some of the challenges that you may face with the hardware or technical challenges. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, a, a pretty interesting issue that we actually solved at the beginning of this month was that there, there's a substantial amount of data that's exchanged between our server and the, uh, and the screen. And in our original uh, designs, we had had that going through a mobile app where a user goes on, downloads a mobile app, connects it to the screen, and then that acts as our transfer of information. Um, but what we found is that it can then be rather slow and also put a burden of data transferring onto the user. And so um, what we did is alongside our work with Tech Global, um, we actually embedded every piece of hardware with a cellular receptor so that now our screens are engaging with, um, with the system one-to-one uh, -one without any intermediary between the two, which then allows us to, um, A, exchange much more data at a, faster, uh, at a faster pace and a lower cost. And similarly, it allows us to take much of the grunt off of the user. So for a driver, it's great to have them using it, but for uh, John's hot dogs, for example, he doesn't need to. And so we can actually cut out the intermediary in terms of a lot of the, the data side of everything. Thank you, Jonah. And the next question here uh, from Mohammed. Sounds like, would you like to discuss another opportunity in, in Saudi Arabia as well for international mm -hmm. expansion? Yeah, we, we'd certainly think about that. Um, the way that our international expansion is set up at the moment, as we have identified a few different uh, areas that, that we're interested in um, and begun the conversations in, in a handful of them. Um, something that that we do is we have our eBumps International company, which we are raising for right now, um, which we then set up into joint ventures in different locations. And so when an investor is buying into the joint venture, it is with the domestic focus of whatever location is. For example, um, it doesn't have to just be one country, but it can be a grouping or an area. Um, and so, yeah, we've had this conversation with a handful of different investors in different locations. And so, yeah, we'd love to have that conversation. So, Jonah, can you clarify that? So, an investor that's investing in your offering today, 
they're getting all of e-bumps with the with an investment in that in your ask today exactly yeah exactly and then when we open up these joint ventures internationally the parent company e-bump that e-bumps that we're raising for right now will have a holding in those firms okay so if you clarify that then uh and a joint venture if you were to open up into another international market uh you prefer to do that as a joint venture for that market alone uh but they could have the option to be in the main overall global entity is, is that did i get that right yeah you did okay jonah we have another question from uh meng tan you mentioned that the raise is two million dollars so how much has been raised and committed so far yeah we we have a handful of investors who are committed right now who are varying on their uh on their specific amounts um the minimum amount is fifty thousand, and so they are just wavering on exactly what the amount that they're investing will be and similarly we have a handful of uh interested investors who are ready to invest in either january or uh once they can see a revenue stream depending on on what what their you know in, uh interest is um and for them you know we'll we'll be seeing a revenue stream in early january and there's a lot of interest on that front and so we feel we feel really confident about the raise that we have right now and as i mentioned earlier we hope this to be the last based on the revenue stream that that we hope to see with 500 screens excellent thank you jonah we have about one more minute if you have a question uh, for e-bumps. Again, remind you that the companies presenting here today, we do have a networking event following this webinar. Uh, it'll be a separate meeting and you can ask more questions and meet directly uh, with the presenters here today, including our investor judges. Um, and contact information is also available on the Linked Ventures uh, website, linkedventures.net and check that website frequently for the most uh, recent updates. And you can also check for contact information on the companies that presented here. The videos and uh, presentations will be available sometime next week as well. Uh, I did uh, take the rest of the, the minute, so sorry, we won't be able to get to all the questions. I think if there's additional questions, Jonah, if you will just answer those questions or type those questions in, but I think we did get to most of every question. So our, our final presentation here today, thank you, Jonah Tuckman, CEO of eBumps. Our final presentation is Simon Legal. He's the co-founder of Driftless Extracts. Driftless Extracts is a hemp solutions provider located in the heart of Driftless region of Southern Wisconsin. Their vision is to revitalize local agricultural uh, with hemp as a centerpiece to a, a renewable future and they continue to bring uh, leading edge technology to their facilities and build services to support their grower network. They're positioned in the marketplace for multiple renewal hemp products, including packaging, fiber composites, extracts, powders, and seed oils. And the leadership team intends to leverage this advanced position to uh, a high value renewable industry uh, in the Midwest that will provide a market foundation for a large scale agricultural hemp production. Uh, there's more that uh, I don't want to steal all of your thunder, Simon. Simon, uh, 
the it's all yours. It's uh, thank you very much for joining us. Well, I, I appreciate everyone on the call today. Um, my name is Simon Legal. I'm one of the co-founders of Tripless. Um, you know, we're we're off to the races in the renewable materials game. Um, this is an image from some of our cultivation that we've done over the past few years. Uh, we recognize that there is um, there is a problem to to the way that we we currently source materials around the world to lots of different manufacturing. Um, and in order to hit climate car climate carbon targets, we're going to need to to come out with a a number of different renewable plant based materials. Um, in addition, we know that that in order to get into that space, we're we're still years off from um, long term commercial grade production. And if you want to start into a venture, you need to make a cash flow business, or or you're really just doing a science experiment and and providing technology for other groups to use and leverage in the future. So our solution to, to that was to build a high performance team and build out um, a cash flow business that's relatively disruptive in the cannabinoid space while pushing um, in research and development into into more practical fiber applications long term for for hemp. Um, you know, I, I've seen others present um, different numbers today. This is by Brightfield. Uh, 2023, we expect the cannabinoid market to grow about by three times to be a $12.4 billion industry. Um, you know, yeah, we want to go out and grab some of that market share and, and participate in that space. Uh, we want to participate in the ingredient space, and we also want to participate in the retail space. But more importantly, we're after this target. We're after the renewables materials target, which is, you know, uh, is going to show explosive growth over the next 10 years. Um, Brixian expects that market to grow to 425 billion by 2027. And internally, we actually believe as a, as a founders team that we'll see a natural progression into renewable materials, much like um, we saw the electric vehicle market expand 10 years ago, there was really one group doing anything in the space. And, and here we are a decade later and, and every major auto manufacturer has their own fleet of electric vehicles that are gonna be online by 2025, um, FedEx, UPS, all the other groups are, are, are working with, with different manufacturers on, on trucks and, and we anticipate materials are gonna follow suit. So the, the founders group came together in 2018. We were somewhat disadvantaged in the hemp space that Wisconsin was relatively late to the game to legislate. You know, I'm, I'm, I come from a finance background and I couldn't participate until the, the 2018 farm bill passed. Um, and so, so we had to come, out, come up with solutions to, to be really disruptive in a space that kind of had matured without us um, in the in the few years before, so the the founders team comes from production based backgrounds, and and we all have business backgrounds. Um, I'm going to start in the upper hand left left hand corner. This is a bit of a family story. I'm I'm one of um, three brothers and a father that were on the foundership team with, with two other groups, or excuse me, two other individuals that are in network. Ed in the upper left hand corner is the president and CEO. Um, Ed has an engineering background. Uh, he he had, um, worked for a, a group out of Madison managed 50 engineers across the country, big water-related infrastructure projects, think breakwaters, harbors, um, $50 million CapEx projects. Um, that brings a, a pretty corporate atmosphere to, to Driftless and, and allows us to participate um, when we go ask some of these larger big brands uh, for their ingredient um, supply chain. Mike there right next to Ed has a background in software. He wrote safety critical systems embedded code for aerospace and defense. He wrote for Boeing, he wrote for Airbus. Um, Mike keeps uh, teams on, on time, on budget. Uh, one thing we're pretty proud of is our efficiency in the business thus far, about 21 months. We had positive EBITDA in the first year. Um, we're, we're aiming to do that again this year. 
Um, all the way to the right there is Ed Senior. Um, got a master's in soils from UW-Madison. He ran the, the University of Wisconsin Soil Lab for six years. Um, Ed Senior has been a certified agronomist across the Midwest for about 40 years. His grower network is north of 70,000 acres. When you start talking about materials, the, the production-based groups are gonna be required, the ones that can really scale quickly. This is a commoditized approach, but you need to scale really fast to get to climate targets. Groups that have 70, 100,000 acres that they can go tap and put row and compete full, compete with row crop um, for acre spots are the ones that are gonna succeed. Um, on the bottom, myself and my business partner, Dan, you know, we're, we're from the finance realm. We're, we're both trained in finance. We have four successful ventures under our belt. This is our fifth. Um, we're committed to our region, we're committed to the planet, and we're, we're committed to this sector. Um, and a little joke there, you know, we're obviously all committed to beards too. Um, we built out a high performance advisory team uh, right away. Josh Hendricks, he's a former executive at CV Sciences. CV Sciences is a publicly traded CBD company. Um, he was a founding member of the Hemp Roundtable. So the Hemp Roundtable is the, the legislative body um, that uh, oversaw the 2018 Farm Bill. Josh partnered with, with Senator McConnell and a few other attorneys out of Chicago to really push that initiative forward. Um, he's been a partner uh, to actually get the legislation that's circulating Congress currently to, to require Congress to regulate the CBD industry. That'll obviously open markets up to larger big, big beverage and food companies. Um, we also added Todd. Todd's the former business, uh, excuse me, for the former VP of business development at Eurofins North America. Eurofins is, is one of the largest testers in the space, and, and Todd and Josh both opened doors to larger, big established brands for us to, to penetrate the ingredient supply chain. So we really started this business with a, a three-phase business model, and that's really to, to create a cash flow cannabinoid-based business, and then leverage some of those funds into research and development, and then come forward with a much larger Midwest region presence in the material space. So we've been successful in our first stage, that's cash flow cannabinoids. Uh, we've got 29 USDA certified organic products to market. Those are all ingredients for other brands to use. So, you know, we'd like to be in distribution with our competitors. We, we average about 59% margin through that, that array of lineup or that array of products. It's, it's seed oils, it's distillate powders, it's distillates, um, traditional products. You know, our group is a production-based group. Um, we're, we're likely not gonna have any type of intellectual property throughout the, the cannabinoid space. We're, we're just good at producing things and, and doing it on, on a cost budget. Um, we've been successful already uh, at transitioning larger brands with a certified organic product so we can actually do start to finish seed to bottle um, transitions for lineups that they have, mix and match ingredients uh, to bring a, a product to market for them uh, without interrupting their current um, distribution channel. Our ag facility, you know, everything we set up is, is continuous feed. That way we can we can do big, large lots. You know, we're trying to, to be disruptive and, and partner with Club Pack. We're not gonna try to partner with, with niche CBD shops. That, that really isn't in our business model. We wanna provide big, large volume lots when Costco, when Sam's Club, when um, Target decide they're gonna have their own in, internal retail brand. How can they get a really, really premium product at a competitive price? Um, you know, our, our labor costs year over year from 2020 to 2019 reduced by, by 75% in one growing season. We were delayed on equipment. Um, we didn't incorporate until 2019. So we had to figure out some problems. Um, in late 2019, we were able to create significant efficiencies in that first facility we built out year over year. Um, one thing that kind of separates our group is we classify the plant 
immediately. So we classify into three different pieces. That way we have three different revenue streams. Flower and leaf material that you can create cannabinoids off. But then we're also after um, core and, and bark material too. We have markets already established. Um, we're going to be on three DOT projects this year with, with, uh, with vast material. Um, we have a, a large open order on core products. So, so we, we're developing markets all along the way for that larger materials game. Um, there's, a, there's unfortunately a, a, a day of reckoning coming for most cannabinoid-based production companies. Dual crop cultivation is going to lead to significant efficiencies in the commercial side. And if you're not doing a dual crop purpose, you're going to get driven out of business because you can do it much cheaper on traditional row crop with large 21st century agriculture. So, you know, just a few images of some of the cultivations that we've had. This is our first year in production. Um, you know, we obviously care about quality. Everything you see here is certified organic. It was our first time growing anything organic. Um, and, and it just kind of shows the professional nature of our group. Some of the equipment we have installed, this is how we built out our first facility. We're, we're going for really a big production-based volume group. I, I talked about Club Pack. That's our end target producer. Um, we brought in the same amount of material uh, that we brought in in 2019. We did it with five people compared to 25 people out, out of this facility in 2020. That allows you to create really, really big, large lots. Um, from big, large lots, you can create a really consistent product to really big food production companies. Uh, our second facility, I'm, I'm actually in this facility today. That's a picture of the outside of it. Um, this, uh, this is on, both of our facilities are actually on long-term lease to owns. This is actually owned by the municipality that we're in. They built it throughout the last recession that started production and it started construction in 2010, um, finished in 2012. It actually won the, the 2012 Green Tech Award. Um, we've got 70 panels on the roof. We've got a geothermal heat pump in the facility itself. If you just price it based on traditional cap rates, and if, if we use a 5.5% cap rate based on the lease payments that we're making today, um, this is a $2.2 million building. It's about 10,000 square. Uh, we've got about 4,000 a lab and office space, and the rest is administration. Uh, we negotiated a 45% market rate purchase price, so we've got a million-dollar cap on the purchase. We cannot purchase until 2026. Um, it is under a TIF credit from the U.S. government. That will expire in 2026. Additionally, we, we asked for a 75% lease credit towards that purchase price, which uh, the municipality was willing to give us. So we're gonna be able to purchase this building for about a quarter million dollars in 2026. Um, the municipality has supported us in a number of different ways. One is um, you know, on excise tax for ethanol. So we source certified organic ethanol for, for extraction. Um, a sugarcane ethanol, we can get it at about eight bucks a gallon. There is a $27 a gallon excise tax on that from what we know, there isn't a group in hemp or cannabis that has been given the exemption from the federal government on manufacturing. I could be wrong, but we haven't found one yet. Um, that creates an additional cost towards extraction. So our, our municipality agreed to actually purchase that. We found you know, in the IRS code that, that municipalities can purchase ethanol and they can avoid the excise tax without actually filing for the exemption. They, they, they're granted automatic exemption. So we essentially have them purchase, they lease um, spot in our, in our holding tank, and then we lease the ethanol back from them. Creates a lot of efficiencies on our recapture. Um, we have organic um, ingredients to market. We also internally brought forth our own brand. When we did our market analysis, uh, we had a, um, an independent third-party brand consultant that really did a, an in-depth dive on the, on the current CBD marketplace, and, and we, we identified a reoccurring theme most brands are gender neutral or female dominated. Um, they're really going towards um, maybe a granola based consumer. 
um, we, we identified a, a spot that could be, we think could really work and that's essential based workers with a masculine dominated um, marketing campaign. And you can see the four, mar four products we're to market with. We launched this brand in, in August of this year. Um, they're innovative products. They, you know, some of them we haven't seen replication across the market, um, but we're going for essential workers. How can we target essential workers, give them really high quality products? Every one of our, our products is either using certified organic CBD or, or the, the product themselves are, are certified organic. Um, we bring forth a pretty, pretty large dose. So it's a professional strength um, product. We, we need our consumers to really feel it each time that they take it. That creates brand loyalty. I'd rather have a customer go to a retail partner and, and purchase every single month instead of, you know, try it and purchase it one time. We are to market at a really disruptive price point. Um, we have significant margins built in because we're vertical and we're going after volume in this play. Um, we've got a diverse product lineup and, you know, our consumers like that our entire supply chain is, is actually made here through the United States. Um, you know, we, we launched the brand in August. Uh, we're into about 110 locations across the Midwest. Um, we realize that distributors are required for national growth. We anticipate by the end of 2021, it will be a national brand. We are finalizing terms for a full brand launch with all four products on Q1 of 2021 through Supernatural. Uh, they're a 1500 store health foods channel. Um, Chambers and Owen is actually doing due diligence on our products right now. They're uh, the seventh largest distributor um, in the C-Store realm across the country. And then LNL Foods is a geo-regional um, health foods grocery and pharmaceutical supplier. Um, we also had one more, one more um, internal, or excuse me, external distributor come on board here uh, last week. I can't share the name yet based on the NDA, but, but we'll be able to announce that here pretty shortly. So that, that's our, our cannabinoid based business. And, and, you know, we like it. it it's a cash flow business. It, it's going to have pretty significant growth. When we look at the revenue models, um, we're likely going to be well short or, or well liked on our projection. We have a, a pretty significant PO coming in before the end of the year. Um, but I, I really want to focus on this part of the business because it, because we really care about this part. You know, a three phase business plan is, is a cash flow model first, do R and D and then come forth with a much larger project. And we're, we're capitalizing on the second part of that. So we filed our own 501c3 in Q4 uh, with the IRS. It's called the Wisconsin Hemp Technology Accelerator. And the long-term plan for this, this entity is to be housed at our facility, run by PhDs from local universities, um, and then and really harbor technology growth and acceleration inside our facility. That'll allow uh, our funding partners to really capitalize if, if there aren't opportunities in current large production manufacturers where we can just sell them intellectual property it'll allow our financing partners to to maybe have a leg up when they're financing these these kind of emerging products that are going to come to market um, the first stage of the 501c3 will will be to 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 go out and grab grant money and research money um, we're going to have pretty large uh, deposits in q1 of 2021 from the state of wisconsin and a couple other groups that will fund a pilot line decortication facility um, within our region. Simon, you have 10 minutes remaining for Q&A. Great, thank you. Um, we wanna use this, these targets, um, we wanna use this pilot line to really um, push commoditized products out to the market and, and develop internal products that we can then sell to our larger manufacturing base in Wisconsin. Um, we have good partners on research, so um, the, 
the U.S. Army, their TACOM department provided us a collaborative research and development agreement, their light tactical division. Those are manufactured relatively close to our proximity. Um, they have a, a whole host of products that they'd like us to help develop with them. We co-sponsored an SBIR grant with Hanna Dynamics for a U.S. Navy composite application. Um, DOD actually provided us a warm introduction to Ford. Ford is monitoring what we're doing with our research uh, in-house. If you get anything out of today, this is what we, we're going after. We're going after the sustainable manufacturing market. We think that you can create opportunity for clusters of economic growth, a marriage between agriculture and manufacturing, and then sell that story to your end consumer. The more we can create a sustainable product for manufacturers, the more PR they get. Um, and, and, it, and it will create this natural transition that we saw in electrification and transportation. Um, just a, a quick slide, if you, if you plot our expenses and um, our revenue, you can see the, the mean trend line shows we're, we're, we are profitable um, and we intend to, to continue down that process. You know, we, it we, we, we brought forth the company and we, we all have business backgrounds. We, we need a really efficient, profitable company in order to, to be able to fund the R&D that we really want to push forward and go after the big dollars. Um, we filed Rule 504. It's a 300 unit minimum. Um, a million dollar round, we've got a $12, $12 million pre-money val. Um, we raised three and a quarter prior to this round. We've got about 300 in the door on this million dollar round. We opened it a couple weeks ago. Um, the use of the funds, so it's gonna be, uh, the majority of the funds are a CapEx installation here in the facility I'm in. We're gonna bring in the back end. Currently we're paying for contract manufacturing. We're gonna bring, bring that back in house. We can create efficiencies anywhere from 50 to 70% depending on what the end product is. Um, you can see the we've we've got much more detailed lineups if if individuals want to see them on on each one of these costs, and then our pro forma, um, you know, positive EBITDA in the first year of of incorporation. We anticipate the revenue number for 2020 is going to be light based on this PO we're going to get here in a few weeks, and and the PO for 2020 is actually about um, you know, it's a 2.8 million dollar PO for 2021 with 5x growth in 2022. All these numbers are really 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 low. For our pro forma, we did that on purpose with the, the anticipation that maybe FDA won't be required to regulate um, the cannabinoid space. If they are, we're gonna be we're gonna be out there to go out and grab significant market share. All right, I'm gonna open it up to uh, to QA. Thank you, Simon. Great job. Simon Legel, co-founder at Driftless Extracts. As we're opening it up, so as a reminder, if you have a question, if you've joined late, if you have a question uh, for one of the presenters here today, use your Q&A at the bottom of your Zoom app. You can type your question in and it will uh, come up to the panelists. As, as we're waiting for the questions to come in from the audience, I wanna go to our investor judges uh, with some questions. It looks like, uh, Terry, you look like you have a question. Uh, yes, uh, Simon. Uh, great presentation. Love what you guys are doing. Uh, the money that you've already raised is that, is that in debt or is that equity? Uh, what's the structure currently? Yeah, that is all currently seed round equity. Uh, we have a, a couple different local banks that were participating on leverage um, for for some of the equipment, but um, yeah, that's all current equity seed round. And real quick, uh, are you guys looking to get into the agro? agricultural space at all for as you know for for beef, that type of stuff with any of your leftover products or you can go after that market. Uh, could you repeat the question? I'm sorry I didn't hear it, Terry. 
I'm sorry about that. Um, are you guys looking to get into the agricultural side for supplying uh, feed for livestock? Is that another yeah, area you're looking to? As soon as we get good sound guidance that you can provide feed additives, yeah, certainly we want to provide it. And on two sides of the plant, both in the, the cannabinoid space, but also on the fiber side, you can create good, robust um, filler in feedstock for, for animals um, using a couple different parts of the plant. You're going to notice this is row crop, you said earlier. Yeah, so that that's really our background is row crop agriculture. Big scale, you you know, think GPS guidance, large equipment, big installations. That's right. really the only way you can go out and land in the cannabinoid space, a group of club pack size. If you want to go after club pack, you need a big, Hello. consistent lot. We got a grande white chocolate mocha. And then uh, I want something. Jim, sweet. can you please mute yourself? Our question uh, with Josh, did you have a question for uh, Simon Lego? I did. I had a question about the secret sauce. So you had mentioned that uh, you have the probability of working with military and or Ford, wondering with a lot of other entrepreneurs and, and inventors coming up with uh, textiles and, and um, with carbon fiber. What What is the secret sauce and um, how would you be able to... Um, Kind of appease investors into knowing that that might be something that could work out. Yeah, I mean, DOD has actually been on site with us twice, so they visited our facilities already. Um, they're interested in the research that we're doing. I, I, I do want to say that we're not, you know, I have a finance background. I'm not going to be a, a PhD in polymer science. We partner with PhDs in polymer science. So the individual um, running the 501c3, he's got a PhD in mechanical engineering um, and polymer science. He, he got his um, masters in, in mechanical engineering from Cornell. He's really, really well known through the space. He's actually um, consulting on, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the two, the two really large fiber projects that are going in and in installations across the country. Uh, one's down south, one's out west. He's a lead consultant on, on one of those projects already. So we're, our job isn't, isn't really to, to create, um, to be the specialist, but, in, but instead build a high performance team and, and we can bring those specialties in, in, the, in the name of Driftless Products or bring a manufacturer to the table, do the research in-house and then sell the IP to a local manufacturer where we can provide the raw material to get that up the chain to, to really monetize the product. Thanks, Simon, excellent answer. Uh, another question, we, uh, do we have another question from our investor judges? Great, great job, Simon. Just one more piece, um, uh, just along the lines of what you just mentioned about selling the IP, what sort of exit strategy do you have or do you foresee uh, for the organization? So we, we, we have conceptualized essentially two. We think the cannabinoid-based business is, is ripe for, because it's vertical, is ripe for acquisition in the future. Um, the fact that we can do it as large and, and in scale as we can will provide an easy entrance towards a large a large group to really own the space that and own their own vertical production. A likely spin out at that point would would be the fiber based application and and that one we I, I don't want to get the cart before the horse. Um, exit in fiber is a ways off. You know to create sustainable manufacturing, we're still a decade away until that's a real true commercialized product, and and I don't want to answer that immature. Is that fair? Fair enough. 
Great. We, we have a, uh, some time for a couple more questions here. I want to get to some questions with the audience. Uh, we have a question here uh, from David Merrick. Are you planning on on building materials such as hempcrete or flooring or other materials such as that? um yeah the the those are pretty low grade low target numbers we need to we need to go after higher um monetized base instruments um i'm not going to share the complete end products but um what we're going after but but building materials is really low grade once we can separate the plan efficiently you create a number of different applications you can use for it the higher the higher your separation content, the more valuable your fiber becomes. We, you know, erosion control is a really low grade based application. It doesn't have to be super clean. Even if we get it to 75% clean, that's good enough to land it on these three applications that we're putting it on DOT projects. Um, that That's a compelling story to sell to your to your state legislators when you're going after um, research dollars that, that were on a DOT project and we did it with pretty low grade fiber. The, the better grade fiber are going to be used in much more industrial applications. Building materials can be one, but hempcrete is, is really, really low hanging fruit. And it, it, it isn't easy to monetize. That's a commodity based approach. If you, if you go more into the woven space in an industrial scale, opportunities open up. The reason DOD wants to, wants to understand how to incorporate this into their production is twofold. Number one, they are really, really concerned about domestic supply chain. They need it for national security. Everything has to be produced in the United States. But number two, DOD is pretty, con um, uh, they are, they're pretty confident that Congress is going to pass renewable sustainable materials requirements, much like we see in Europe, where 30% of materials are going to have to be sourced of a renewable nature. You can't do that with a ton of different fibers. There are only a handful that can be grown effectively in sustainable nature. And hemp is kind of, you know, you, Josh asked about the secret sauce. Hemp has that in itself because you can grow it relatively efficiently, low cost and drive production in order to get enough scale to be the feedstock towards some of those renewable materials. Excellent. Thank you, Simon Legel, uh, co-founder at Driftless Extracts. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have any more time for questions. We're going to go into our uh, judging and audience voting uh, for today's presentations. Uh, so I, I do encourage you. Uh, there's a couple of questions that uh, we may have not gotten to. If you want to go ahead and type the answer into the Q&A uh, and also check the chat for there may be some questions there. Uh, as well that you can be able to answer, Simon. Uh, so our our next uh, portion, we are we've had. Uh, thank you for all of our presenters here today. Uh, we've had some really great presentations and some great opportunities, and really a very diverse group here. A diverse group of opportunities. We've had um, different sectors, different industries represented here today. Uh, so what we're going to do now is we're going to open it up to the investor judges. Uh, and while the investor judges are also giving their vote, uh, they're actually making a vote on companies that they would actually consider making an investment in. And as we hear, and they'll have an opportunity to explain uh, why they chose the company they did. Um, so we're gonna go ahead and do that now. 
And uh, while that's happening, we're also going to put up uh, the poll to the audience so that you can also um, answer that as well on the best pitch poll. It's really simple. All you have to do is who piqued your interest here today? Uh, was it Christina? Was it Element Apothic? Was it Flow Technology? Was it eBumps? Was it Driftflix Extracts? Uh, we're going to launch that poll now. Uh, maybe some of the uh, feedback that you get from our investor judges is going to help you with making your choice. It's really simple. Just go ahead and make your choice there. Uh, and you can either choose who gave the best presentation or what you feel is, is a company that you would invest in. Um, so let's start with uh, Cherry Buffalo. Can you uh, tell us who got your vote here today? You know, it's, uh, of course, it's always a challenge coming down to these all of a sudden uh, to make the best uh, choice. You know, as a company in general, I'd have to say there's a couple of, of the presenters today. It's not um, in the cannabis space like Christina, unfortunately. We know they've got great returns, but it's not something we'd be looking into. Um, Jim's business, I believe like the technology. Uh, if I had to go with today, I would be looking more for going to us. Only the, the main reason because I like what they're doing in the space, but also they're close to the cash flow positive, cash flow positive. And that's one of the things we are looking for right now as a, our investment with capital is into companies that are already producing their cash flow. And so all the presentations are good. I really like the thing of what you're, what you're doing is just really too early a stage for us as a company. Uh, but that being said, uh, I'm going to circle back to you with some other people that are interested in the uh, CPD space. Thank you, Terry Buffalo. Again, also, if you want to meet Terry and networking, he'll be available in networking as well. Uh, so we'll go with uh, Josh Kincaid. Josh, can you tell us who won your vote here today and, and why? Yeah, it was a tight race. I thought there were some really great presentations. All these businesses seem to be ready, uh, ready to go. Um, and so I think ultimately the one that made the most checks for me on the list of things that, that I'm looking at, um, with the exception of um, putting out more roadblocks or things that, that might be issues in the future, I think that Jim with Flow had met most of my criteria on their scoring the highest. I think the company's ready to go. I think what they're doing um, is pretty solid. So um, I feel like Jim has been in the business a while. He's he's uh, ha He has a couple successful businesses already, understands the market and the audience. Um, I feel like he's got some secret sauce. He's got a great team and products behind him, uh, created a really good call to action uh, in his summary. Um, and I just wanted to follow up with some more um, needs that he might have and potential roadblocks. But outside of that, I thought he identified all of the goals uh, with flow. And I thought Jim's presentation was really well done. Excellent. Thank you, Josh Kincaid. And you can also meet Josh in the networking as well after this. So and our uh, other investor judge, David Logan, uh, who won your vote today and, and why? First off, I thought that everybody did a wonderful job presenting and um, and so what I did was um, in an effort to be able to standardize the process across all the great presentations, um, I standardized it around a five point system between the revenue, the, the team bring it forward, the unique value proposition, viability, scalability, and then market size. 
And after reviewing each one of the presentations, um, I echo uh, Josh's uh, vote as well. Flowtech was the uh, the most promising, in my opinion. Um, it had it has the management team that had several exits, a great team. Um, there's IP that's protected, and the viability and scalability of their um, of their models is 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 on point. And I think their market, their market, and that secret sauce that Josh uh, was describing is going to be a really, really huge potential. So for that reason, I'm I think that Flowtech. But again, um, that's I think everyone did a great job, and um, and I'd love to to kind of learn more and work with you guys as well. Thank you. Great feedback, David. I think that's uh, all great feedback. That uh, each company can have a takeaway here too. It's all great feedback. Um, and I appreciate your scoring system. Um, I do the same uh, when I'm looking at companies. I have a scoring system, and I actually, my I probably have a 25 point scoring system, David. But that's that comes from a, a you know former uh, finance guy and CFO. I think uh, there's a lot of boxes I like to check, and um, so there's a lot of things that I look at as well. And so I appreciate that. So there we have it. Our investor judges are saying that Flow Technology has uh, won the best pitch today from uh, the investor judges. And we um, have our audience poll that has been up. It's been up for uh, about five minutes now. Uh, I think we have most of the votes in, but I want to encourage you to get a couple more votes in. I want to get that up to uh, at least 70% of the audience vote. So I, I need some more votes so we can make sure that we've rounded out and given everybody the opportunity. It's real simple. Who, uh, who gave your best pitch today and what were you looking for? Uh, you know, when we introduced this in the beginning, I talked about uh, Ashton Kutcher and what he looks for and, and the three points that, that uh, he's looking for. And uh, was, was that one of the things you were looking for? Were you looking for a company that you can get along with? Were you looking uh, for a, a company that uh, understood their uh, product and their industry very well? Did they check that box for you? Was it their personality that would allow them uh, to withstand some setbacks? What was your criteria today as you were trying to figure out who to uh, who's who gave the best pitch today? Um, so give it, I'm going to give you a chance. Uh, please just, just need maybe a couple more votes so I can get that up to 70% and I can close that. And then you don't have to hear me talk about that anymore. Um, so I do encourage you to go ahead and, and, and make your vote. We will have another audience uh, poll right after this. Following this, we just have a couple more questions to see how we did today and give us some feedback. Um, we do appreciate you taking time out of your day. Uh, to hear these presentations. We hope that you find value in this. Um, these companies that presented here today, uh, we don't just have anyone present. We do have a screening process. And if you would like to be showcased, uh, I noticed there's a lot of people want to introduce themselves in the chat as well. But if you would like to be showcased like the companies that were showcased here today, you can apply to pitch. You can go to www.linkedventures.net we will begin the uh, review process there. So you can start the review process there by applying there. Uh, then your um, presentation, your overall company is reviewed uh, and the uh, we select companies that present here to be showcased. 
we, we do get about 100 companies a week through all of our deal flow channels. Uh, so our, we, we look at a lot of opportunities. So not everyone gets to be here. And we appreciate the companies that did present here today. So we did reach 70, over 70%. I am going to end the poll. So our investor judges said uh, that Flow Technology has won their vote. Uh, interestingly, with the audience, the audience has voted that Driftless Extracts has won their vote. Um, and so uh, they're uh, with 36% of the vote, Driftless Extracts, Flow Technology coming in second with 21% of the vote. Uh, all the companies uh, did get votes here today. So I think that all of them did a really excellent job at presenting and we appreciate you coming forth and presenting your opportunity. It's not always easy to do that. Um, so I'm going to end that uh, poll. I'm launching the next poll, which is just our, um, this is just our questions to ask how we're doing here today. And maybe if there's a company that piqued your interest, you get an opportunity uh, to say so in there as well. Um, again, just a reminder, we will have the uh, networking event where you'll have an opportunity to introduce yourself. You'll have an opportunity to meet with the presenters here today, uh, including our investor judges. Uh, thank you to our investor judges taking time out of their day as well. Um, so that's a networking opportunity where you get a chance to, uh, you'll have a more open forum to go ahead and put your chat in, put, you know, you'll have an opportunity to put every, whatever you want into the open uh, main room chat, uh, but we will have a breakout room uh, where, you know, if you want to have a serious conversation or meeting with one of the companies that presented here today, and you want to ask some more questions, you'll have an opportunity to do that. We're, I'm going to put that um, link shortly into the chat so you'll be able to join that meeting. It's a separate Zoom meeting uh, with breakout rooms. And uh, I will. it's also available on the Link Ventures website at linkedventures.net under the uh, Investor Spotlight tab. You can also check that link over there. It is free to attend. Um, so we also uh, appreciate you coming out for doing this. Uh, in the process, we, we've uh, had a lot of opportunity to meet with a lot of great investors. We've actually had some great success uh, with companies that have presented here in the past. Just to kind of give you some results, a recap of our last four events, and this one, this is our fifth event. Uh, we have had um, companies that have received LOIs for uh, international expansion. We've had companies that have taken down their entire round from, uh, from one investor. We've had other companies had offers for up to 10% of the company. Uh, we, we've had, all of those are in the due diligence process. So we've had uh, companies that have raised on sites such as WeFunder, which, which is actually oversubscribed. Uh, one of the uh, companies was asking for a million 70 uh, on their crowdfunding raise and they're actually oversubscribed over $4 million invested so far. So we've really had some great success with the companies that have presented here. Um, and this is all, nothing goes to Green Life Capital uh, or Linked Ventures for those raised, for the money that's raised there uh, on behalf of those companies. 
Um, so all of the money that you invest actually goes into those companies. So there's no finder fee or anything like that. We're not charging a, a investment uh, banker or broker dealer. Um, there's a, nothing for that. Uh, we're simply doing this to open up the platform for them. There is a small cost for them to participate in the platform. They, it's in the form of a sponsorship. It's really a nominal cost to participate. Uh, but we've had really uh, a lot of great success with it. So we're getting the votes in in the in the poll. Um, I, I, I do also want to get this up to at least 70%. So then you can um, stop hearing me speak again. Um, and I also want to just thank you all for uh, being here today again. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out. Some of you I know I know uh, specifically, I want to give a shout out to Meng. I know Meng, you're joining us all the way from uh, Singapore. And I know it's probably what, you know, 3 a.m. over there. It's, uh, it's a 16-hour time difference from me. So um, I guess you're, it's, it's tomorrow already at, uh, you know, 5 a.m. Uh, over there. So I know it's, uh, you had to get up early to catch these presentations and we've had a lot of investors also join in from London and different places all over the world all over the globe we had Saudi Arabia we saw we had a question there um, again please just answer our questions here in our poll uh, it helps us to know how we're doing here today if you'd like to be uh, connected with one of the companies that presented here today um, simply just uh, let me know it, you can uh, email linked ventures at uh, info at linkedventures.net or you can email me directly uh, tim at glifecap.com uh, and a little quick uh, uh, you know wouldn't be i'd be uh, remiss if i didn't get the opportunity to also talk a little bit more about green life capital too since we're sponsoring this event uh, we we uh, have been offering uh, growth finance to companies in the form of up to $5 million of unsecured uh, money and up to $50 million in real estate. Um, we're really industry agnostic and uh, we're, we are one of the few companies that can invest in uh, and uh, offer to the cannabis industry. But we've had a lot of other industries, like you said, uh, like we've noticed here today. But one of the greatest things that you know I find about uh, debt financing is it, and a lot of people don't know this, and I, you know, I, you just have to take a finance class to know this. Uh, debt actually costs a lot less uh, than equity uh, raising. You know, equity is the most expensive form of capital that you can get. Maybe there's some investors that won't be happy to hear that as I'm saying that, but uh, we also do hope to. Uh, we have a fund that we uh, have on hold right now that uh, we. We want to be able to offer equity as well, um, and you know there's great there's great upside potential with equity. With debt, it's non-dilutive, so that's what we offer. Uh, we do see a lot of deals that we are uh, looking at since 2019. We put together a syndication. We've uh, invested over 200 million dollars. Uh, 2020 was a challenging year. Um, you know, obviously with COVID, and so a lot of things were. Uh, locked up and, and things like that. We, we hope to get that going again. Um, but anyways, I want to thank you all for coming here. I'm trying to get that. I, I, I keep talking because I'm trying to get that uh, poll up to 70%. Um, so I'm going to add now as I'm continuing there, I'm going to go ahead and add the link to the networking meeting. If you want to go over there, 
Uh, we'll be still here for just a few more minutes. Um, and we will uh, join, we'll, we'll join separately. Uh, we're gonna take a, a quick uh, break as we, um, as we go to the networking meeting. The networking meeting will start at two o'clock. Uh, so we're, we're gonna take a quick break here um, before we go into the networking meeting. And I almost made the accident of clicking the link myself. And uh, so I almost left this meeting here. So you have to be real careful um, to not leave. If you wanna stay in, in this meeting to hear the results, um, you know, you'll wanna not click on that just yet. I'm going to go ahead and pull that up right now. Apologies. I wanted to get that uh, copy and, and paste that link over there. There you go. There is our networking meeting link. Uh, so if you uh, want to copy that link, put it into your browser and then join it after you end this meeting. Uh, we're just about to the 70%. So just please a couple of more, um, couple more answers in our poll. Again, I also want to thank our, our technology. Behind our technology was Vinod. He's helping us uh, make sure that this all went off, uh, that this event went off without a hitch. And we, we did pretty well. We didn't have uh, any too many problems in our in our event. And so we did really well. We're, uh, it went pretty smoothly. I want to thank you, Vinod, for doing that. Um, so there we have it. Uh, we've, got, we've reached uh, over 70%. I want to thank you for that. I'm going to end the poll and then we're going to end this meeting and we'll see you over there in the networking meeting shortly. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for joining and happy holidays. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.